Hey, Marchand, personal journal. Oh, man. Can you be demoted if your promotion wasn't real? Ugh. I've spent the last week or so wrapping up a few things as the totally fake media master. I'm going to miss being in Caron's old office. But at least now I don't have to put up with Michael's constant teasing about using my crush's workspace anymore. I won't miss the workload either, but I will miss the salary. Hmm. I cleaned out my desk yesterday so I could focus on finishing my final report to Mr. Gold and complete my research for MIFE's mandated season finale. A parting gift from Cameron Winner. Hmm. Before Christmas break. But when I entered Mr. Gold's office, I found the huge room almost empty and his desk nearly bare except for Julie, his gun, which wasn't pointed at me for once, and a company-issued laptop. Well, good morning, Nate. Good morning, Mr. Gold. Here's my last Media Master report for you. And this will be the last report I ever have to read as your boss. What? You quit? Damn straight. Why? Well... Let's just say my previous employers were a witch and a tyrant. My current employer was starting to remind me too much of both of them. Wow, that's unexpected. Well, why do you think I sent Heat those newer data files? Wait, 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 wait. Randy's anonymous source was you? Um, let's keep that between us, shall we? My lips are sealed. So, what will you do now? We'll go back to Texas, of course. I got a fine ranch there that needs some attending to. Raising cattle? Uh, more like small kaiju. Oh, dang. I guess you just can't get away from the big critters. And nor can Miss Kawhi. She'll be coming with me. She's quitting too? Nate, just like this gun, where I go, she goes. Wow. This is... What to take in? <laughs> I bet you spent this whole entire year thinking I was your enemy. Now, haven't you, Nate? Well, yeah, I did. Ah, well, to tell you the truth, I was there for a hot Texas minute. Mr. Winter has lined my pockets with fat checks for a very long time. So I repaid him with that unconditional loyalty that you and I talked about. But the more I saw that pig-headed tenacity of yours start to uncover the truth, I began to respect you just a tad bit more. Because Winter was selling tech and research to both the island and Jurassic Park like a corporate war profiteer? Ah, there's the Nate that I grew to respect. I like making money as much as the next cowboy, but not if I think the man next to me is trying to throw me under the hooves of the next bull that comes along, if you know what I mean. Mm. We finally agree on something. Mr. Machan, do you remember what I said about there only being a few good men left in this world? I do. Well, it has become painfully obvious to me that this island could use a few more of them. What say we make that media master job a real position? That's flattering and all, but after everything I've been through, I think I'll stick with film curation and the radio show, if you don't mind. Oh, well. Have it your way, Mr. Machan. I guess the island was doing just fine before all that happened. But there is the matter of the tourism director. 
I thought you hated that position, but I suppose if you... Uh, no, 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 no. I wasn't talking about me. Ah, I see. Your little sister. Yes, my pseudo-sister. She actually liked the job, and with me needing to get things back in order at KIJU, I thought dividing the position like it was before would be the most efficient way to go. I tell you what, I'll see what I can do, but no promises. She still probably won't talk to me, though. <laughs> Sounds like my sister Sylvia. The fairer sex is often slow to forgive, but they eventually come around. If you're sincere. <laughs> is your sister mad at you, too? Well, let's just say she rarely isn't as mean as a scorpion, if that's what you mean. Does that make you nervous about going back to the family ranch? Uh, you could say that. At least Jimmy's been more forgiving. The legal action team managed to get the charges dropped by saying there's no definitive proof the zillion woman he harbored committed any war crimes. And to assume she did, just because she's from Planet X, is tantamount to racism. Oh, good old Raymond and sad, weak little Gary. They're both smart as a whip. I also heard they're going to be on your show today. Yeah. Winner's little Christmas present. Oi. Nate, can I ask you a question, mano a mano? Sure. I heard rumblings that your producer and that ex-lady are lovebirds. Please tell me that ain't true. Oh, jeez. It's about as obvious as dorsal plates on Godzilla. I swear they're trying to top the Barragons as the most Twitter-pated couple on the island. <laughs> Assuming Titanus Doug stops being a third wheel. Yeah, it's kind of disgusting. <laughs> Nobody told me that the green-eyed monster was brought to the island, Nate. Ha-ha, let's not go there. <laughs> well, bless your heart. I rolled my eyes. The important thing is Jimmy is back in the producer booth. That'll give Jet time to go over to the Heat Seeker and get Nigel downloaded out of his head. Looks to me like happy endings all around then. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, I need to get to KIJU. Oh, before you go, Nate. Mr. Gold took the Stetson he was wearing and put it on my head. Merry Christmas. And outside of all the wise advice I've given you this past year, never say I didn't give you anything. Oh, well, thanks. Now, if you'll excuse me, I gotta go see myself a kilt-wearing son of a bitch about a box. See you later, Mr. Machan. It took a few seconds for that to register. Wait. But Mr. Gold was out the door. I wondered, does that mean... It was a text message from Gary saying he and Raymond were already at KIJU. My season finale was a callin'. End journal entry. Live from the KIJU studios in beautiful Ogasawara, this is The Monster Island Film Vault, Episode 79, The Asylum's Monster Island, featuring Raymond Martin. 
Welcome to the Monster Island Film Bump, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. I am your host, Nate Marchand, no longer the media master here, but there's good reason for that, which I might explain a little bit later, but more importantly, he's back, baby. Oh, Jimmy, I can't begin to tell you how much I missed you. Yeah, Jet did his best, but we can't replace you, man. You just can't. Yes, I'm pouring on thick, okay? Yes, I know. I learned just how valuable you are to this show, okay? I get it. Okay, that's enough ego inflation for now. But today is definitely interesting. There's several firsts here. I'm noticing a little bit of a pattern with the season finales on this show. Because they usually end on terrible movies. So terrible. In fact, I had to bring on a lawyer to explain why it's so terrible. Yes, the star lawyer of the Monster Island legal action team, Raymond Martin. Hello, Mr. Marchand, and welcome. Oh, sorry. That should be you saying welcome to me. Yeah, yes, I should be welcoming you. So this this is just nutty. I think this is the first time I've actually had you on the show. We've been friends for a couple of years now. I mean... <laughs> well, I gotta say, Mr. Marchand, I'm a little uncomfortable being in the spotlight. I tend to work behind the scenes. I know, that's what Gary does, right? He's, But he doesn't... You put him in the spotlight, but I'm not sure Gary likes the spotlight. <laughs> that, that, that is correct, Mr. Marchand. I really, really hate being in the spotlight. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Raymond. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Gary, in case none of, in case any of you haven't figured it out, Gary is hanging out in the producer booth with Jimmy, so it's like Sidekick Central over there. Oh, calm the heck down! Ugh. Wait, at least she has Scott. Uh, this is true because sometimes we're not drunk enough for this podcast. Just listen to the season two finale. <laughs> Uh, there there was litigation waiting to happen with that one, Raymond. <laughs> well, you know, I had a bit of a bender that weekend and I didn't get to it. I'm sorry. Uh, that's okay. That is okay. But you know why I am having you here? It's because, well, see, we're back under the, I guess you could say, original management. Mr. Winter has sold his controlling shares back to the Monster Island Board of Directors in his infinite wisdom because he apparently found greener, and by greener I mean more money, pastures elsewhere. For those of you who are not in the know, it turned out that everything he was doing here was so he could basically foster one-upmanship between us and our competition, Jurassic Park, to constantly make new creatures and, and I guess creature enhancements to you know attract more tourists to our respective locations. And then he would just basically fund everything. So basically he was like an arms dealer, just d- selling to both sides. Well, you know, Mr. Marchand, you say that, and that's a good enough explanation, but I don't believe it's the correct one. See, through the oh. grapevine, a little birdie told me that Mr. Winter seemed to have overextended himself financially and was hemorrhaging money. Ah, that, that and so also the only means. way to handle this, much like Mr. Musk, was to sell back his stock interests. Ah, yes, yes. I think I have heard Mr. Winter express some admiration of Mr. Musk. I think they're still competing for richest man in the world at this point. Well, if I wasn't such a 
delicate flower, I would say, richest douchebag. But yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to argue with you there, with Mr. Winter, because he's no longer in charge, and I can say things like that. Ha ha! But anyway, I was one of his final mandates to me. <laughs> actually, I think it came right after he told me that my job as media master actually didn't exist. They totally made it up. Good grief was that I had to cover. No, I take it back. He did tell me this before he removed me and told me my position was fake. Never mind. It's all blending together. It's been a heck of a year, people. <laughs> well, he had to cover his legal bases, don't you know? Yeah, this is true. But I was told that if I'm going to cover Jurassic Park as, well, what I thought would be the finale of America, America. America, 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 America. America, I do. Then I was basically obligated to also talk about a Monster Island movie because, you know, why am I covering the competition? He basically cited some form of the fairness doctrine or something he said i had to give equal time to monster island as i did jurassic park like fine so like what am i supposed to do like move up godzilla versus guy again a little up ahead you know godzilla on monster island i mean i can do this like no you can't do that oh i can't okay then what do you want me to do and i have been forced to cover monster island from 2019 the asylum movie well, let me tell you something, Mr. Marchand. I believe that Cameron Winter has deceived you in this aspect because oh, really? the fairness doctrine is about political fairness, oh. not about studio fairness. We all know studios get away with whatever they want if they have enough money or mm. enough gumption or a crack legal team. Ah, uh, I should have consulted you, Raymond. I, uh, that was my first mistake right there. Mm. Well, he left a big pile on my desk that Gary and I have been going through for the past week and a half. So... You're, mm. you're forgiven. Ah, uh, I, uh, totally makes sense. But there, the other reason, here's the funny thing. You want to talk about nuts. I, we were talking about, you know, he's, you know, going to find greener pastures. Apparently one of those pastures, despite hemorrhaging money, is he is now helping the asylum. Yes, that crop, I don't that those bootleggers of a movie studio, they are now starting a bootleg monster island. I, I, I would I would caution you, Mr. Marchand, to not use the word bootlegging or illegal. Or These are actionable terms that the asylum uh, can use against you in your capacity as a media master, even though you're not a media master anymore. But well, the, okay. Basically, they're starting another attraction not too far from us called Monster Island and are trying to entice people to show up by making their price is a heck of a lot cheaper, much like what they do with their movies, which we'll talk about today. On the plus side, they don't have any star attractions that they can bring in that have been documented in film and fantasy. Yeah, uh, they're trying because Cameron Winter is selling some of the assets he took with him from the island. I hmm. expect there to be some genetic chicanery going on. Well, if he only took genetic samples, that might be a legal gray area. Yeah, yeah. But, but still, as it's effective intellectual property. So we will yeah. get right on that. Right, Gary? Of course, I'll just add it to the list. 
your ever-growing list, right? I'm sorry, Gary. <laughs> it's it's the life of a paralegal. It's, it's yeah. just what we do. Yeah. So it seems like at some point, I'm guessing within the next year or so, we are not going to be the only Monster Island. But I guess they figured, because the movie we're talking about today is a complete work of fiction. From what I thought, and we'll talk a bit more about this, Raymond, I thought they stole the name and basically made an incredibly bad movie using our name, and they didn't even use it well, as we'll talk about, because I had to send you the copy of this movie that was somehow in the film vault. I'm a little surprised it's there, and I had to send it to you as reference material, and for what I understand, you and Gary watched it. I'm sorry for both of you. Yes, it was it was torture. It was worse than anything I have ever seen before, and I... I was physically ill. Oh, it wasn't that bad, Gary. Buck up. Be a man. Ah. Anyway, but thank you for that. It was very interesting watching, and I do believe that you were, I think I believe I told you before this event, I wrote it on the telegraph machine, that uh, Monster Island is a open source, as they say. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit. But to illustrate how poorly they tried to implement this... I have a little plot summary here for you. I'm going to be the one who reads it today, even though I would normally let the guests do it. But I had to get my snark out today because I got stuck watching Bootleg Monster Island here. (sighs) All right. Once again, I I caution you on the term bootleg. Uh, Oh, yes, true. Yeah, true. I mean, you grew up when bootlegging meant a completely different thing. Well, we don't like to talk about my childhood, but thank you very much. Ah, uh, you're well. You lived history. I just read about it. <laughs> hey, Jimmy, do me a favor. And when I start reading this, put on some clown music or something before we get to the legal loopholes that let this thing exist. All right, here we go. Dr. Not Gerard Butler and a pair of hapless scientists stumble upon the infamous kaiju flying star Tangupus during an underwater expedition. With the beastie heading toward land, they call Admiral or General Eric Roberts, who captains a battleship in his living room, to tell him that the kaiju is coming, much like the British a couple hundred years ago. After a battle of privilege, the military engages the monster, but is predictably destroyed. Not Gerard Butler and his merry band contact Dr. Crazy Scientist Lady, who tells them their only hope is to revive the Caillou Killer, Living Mountain. After a series of shenanigans involving Flying Star Tangupus's offspring, a horde of barely legal baby Rodans, the Living Mountain is revived, hugs it out with Flying Star Tangupus, and explodes after he shoots his eye out. Kid. Well, to paraphrase uh, Mr. Nelson Muntz from The Simpsons, I can think of two things wrong with that synopsis. Oh, well, what's that? I, I was just making funny. It's uh, oh, okay. I don't really have anything <laughs> at this point. Oh, I came I, completely I, I, unprepared. I, I understand. You're used to being in the courtroom, not in uh, the 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 radio room. I don't know. We'll call this it is the very uh, this is very unstructured. I'm not quite used to that yet. Yeah, I, I understand. I understand. But yes, there you go. And you know what makes this even better, Raymond? 
this is a quote unquote mockbuster. We'll talk about mockbusters because they skirt legality quite a bit. This the asylum is known for making mockbusters like this, and this is supposed to be a mockbuster of Godzilla: King of the Monsters 2019. Yeah, could have fooled me. Yeah, the entire time I watched it, I'm like, how? How? I mean, I wrote down a handful of things that were you know, very surface level similarities, but like nothing. I mean, at least with their other mockbusters, you can draw parallels and comparisons. I, I'm I'm struggling with this one. <laughs> it is indeed a great struggle. Not quite as good as the struggle of 1918 when we fought off the Jerry's. Wow. <laughs> World War One veteran. Uh, thank you for your service. I. Yes. Don't mention it, please. Uh, ever. Uh, okay. Duly noted. <clears throat> but for anybody who cares <laughs> about the people, <laughs> I, I see uh-huh. you laughing. I see you laughing there. <laughs> for anyone who cares about the people who worked on this movie, because most of you don't, because it's the asylum. <clears throat> it was written and directed by a guy named Mark Atkins. Probably invented a diet on in his spare time, I'm sure. And well, as I mentioned, diet hallucination—that's the problem. Uh, there you go. And as I mentioned, this stars Eric Roberts and a bunch stars of is unknown, a generous term. Yes, generous. And so it's Eric Roberts and a bunch of unknowns named Chris Fisher, Adrian Bouchette, Bouquette. Not sure how it looks very French. Megan Oberholzer. Interesting name. Natalie Robbie and Donna Cormack. I have no idea who any of these people are. I barely know who Eric Roberts is. And he's still before my time. <laughs> well, you see, Eric Roberts is the older brother of Julia Roberts, who I hear is some uh, kind of hottie wait, on the screen. Wait a minute. Is this the same Julia Roberts brother who was in that ill-fated Doctor Who movie in the 90s? Let me check my televisual machine here. I, I, I think that's a computer, Raymond. It looks like a television to me. Ah, yes. So you are getting on the internet, right? I believe it's called the Ether Communication Network. Ah. Uh, huh? <laughs> what? Okay. Uh, yes. Yes, indeed. He was the villain. He was... The reconstituted master. Then I have seen this guy before. Okay. <laughs> this is very disturbing. I, I'm sure, because now you're just sitting there and all you're picturing is the master now, aren't you? <laughs> Captaining well, you a know. battleship in his living room. Because that was most definitely a wooden door back there. <laughs> Battleships don't look like that. <laughs> wait, wait. Are we sure it was a battleship? Oh, that's going to make my friend Michael very happy. He loves that sound effect. Well, you know, a lawyer's job is to make people happy. Y- yes, he it is. Sarcastically. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, oh, no. So does this mean that Eric Roberts was, in fact, captaining Crazy Bernice? Big as a battleship, man. Well, I believe that Crazy Bernice is bigger than a battleship. But let's ah. get the legal distinction <laughs> down there right away. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> So, to let everybody know, this was not released theatrically. Although I discovered doing some research that 
Believe it or not, The Asylum has actually had one movie released theatrically. Oh, do tell, Mr. Machan. It was one of two Top Gun Maverick mockbusters that they did. <laughs> it was called, no joke, Top Gunner Danger Zone. Oh, he went there. He went to the Danger Zone. Yes. Yes, he did. And it played in six movie theaters. So there you go. They can lay claim to something. Because normally they send all their stuff to Sifi, I mean Sci-Fi, or they send it direct to DVD, which we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But this aired twice, actually. On June 1st, 2019, the day after King of the Monsters dropped in theaters. And 12 days later, it was on DVD on June 13th. And then three months later, you could watch it on on video on demand on September 13th because people care. <laughs> I'm not sure I agree with that. People care. Uh, people, I, I certainly don't not about this trick. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know. Nobody does. But speaking of, you know, speaking of Drek, actually, I, I did find a review for this movie from a guy by the name of Phil Wheat of Nerdly. Don't know that one. Who was weirdly nice to this movie. He said, I'm not gonna lie. This is yet another low-budget CGI-filled film from The Asylum. And if you don't like that sort of thing, you're not going to like this. But if you're like me and live for these cheesy, gloriously over-the-top B-movies, then there's a lot to recommend about Monster Island. End quote. Sir, I think you watched a different movie. Or he was uh, smoking that wacky tobacco that I'll hear tell about. There's uh, oh, no yeah. way, no way that he saw the same movie that we did. So no, bad. no, no. He, he was inebriated because I know there have been several instances on this show where I have basically been broken by bad movies. Looking at you, Yeti. Looking at you, Super Monster Camera. But I also am the one to tell you that I can get into a gloriously bad movie. I watch MST3K. I understand the appeal. This does not have bad movie charm. And the reason I'm going to say it doesn't have bad movie charm because I've watched a few Asylum movies. I've watched a couple of the Sharknados. Okay. I understand the appeal. This is halfway competent. And by being halfway competent, it is incredibly boring. <laughs> Indeed. Poor Gary fell asleep halfway through. Uh, out, of his, out of the side of his mouth, it was adorable. Still wearing his <laughs> wombat costume. Oh, the the oh wombat! Did, did you take pictures? <laughs> Thanks for that, Raymond. <laughs> yeah, new Facebook profile pic, Gary. No comment. Oh, gotcha. I understand. I understand. <sighs> yeah, I understand the pain, though. I didn't fall asleep, but I was bored out of my skull. After a while. And it just the choice is made in this. Because it does have some of the trademarks that you you would expect from the asylum. You know, sets that are clearly not what they're supposed to be. There's a they are infamous for doing things like say going to a hotel and filming scenes that are supposed to be like, I don't know, a boardroom or set on a cruise ship, but it's clearly a hotel hallway and things like that. I mentioned that with Eric, you know, general, I mean, Admiral, I mean, general, because that, that was something you pointed out to me, Raymond, because you're like, 
he's in the Navy. Why is he a general and not an admiral? <laughs> they didn't do their research. I had a great deal of problems with this. Being an old military man myself, I contacted Gary immediately. Basically put an elbow in his side to wake him up. Mm. And I told him to contact the Joint Chiefs of Staff and tell me why a Navy man is going by the rank of general. Seems absurd. Mm-hmm. What was that response, Gary? They said never to call again. Yeah, I, th- I think we get that a lot around here. Indeed. Yeah. A lot of my calls go unanswered. Right. So anyway, so this bridge that's not Admiral Eric Roberts is on clearly has, like I said, has a wooden door in the back that does not look like a door on a battleship. Uh, that sound effect's never going to get old. <laughs> But then you have some other instances, like there's another, there's a couple of scenes actually on the most high-tech looking fishing boat that is very inconsistent with how high-tech it is, that I looked at and I'm like, did they actually film this on a fishing boat? Because those windows look surprisingly square, but it has an arched roof, kind of like a fishing boat. I can't, I can't make heads or tails of that one. And when I say it's inconsistently high-tech, it suddenly halfway through the movie had a helipad and a helicopter. Unless I missed something. Well, Jacques Cousteau has a great deal of money. Uh, this is true. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah the French captain. airlifted in. Indeed, the French captain. I'm thinking theft of personality, theft of image, because this person exemplified what Jacques Cousteau must have looked like in his youth, in his 60s. Ah, yes, in his, in his 60s. Back in the 60s? Who can tell? Jacques Cousteau uh, has always looked the same. Uh, this is true. This is true. I, and when I, that guy's accent was, I have a French surname and this guy, I, I'm like, this guy's accent is so thick. I don't know what he's saying half the time. He's arguably the best character in the movie. And the more he talked, the more I thought, is this a mockbuster of a 2019 Godzilla movie, American Godzilla movie, or is it the 1998 American Godzilla movie? Well, all I know is that I said we, we to that character. Yes. Yes, Thank Jimmy, you. I realized after the fact that that was an unintentional joke. Oh, nothing unintentional about that, Mr. Marchand. No. That, that's my defense, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> but anyway, so crazy French sea captains aside, well, there's also one scene, lasts for about maybe 30 seconds, where, of course, we have a Russian nuclear submarine that shows up and tries to torpedo the, what did I call him? Flying Star Tengupus. I think I got all everything in there because this kaiju is ridiculous. They tried to torpedo the thing, which nearly kills our heroes in their little submarine. And that Russian submarine is way too spacious. <laughs> Not claustrophobic enough. Indeed. And I think, speaking about Russians, as a matter of fact, this is long past the the... the glory days of the Soviet Republic. So what were they doing down there in South Africa anyway? Mm. It begs the question, nefarious purposes, legitimate travel, who can tell? Mm. Well, let's just say kaiju movies have a storied history, not all of it good when it comes to submarines, particularly of the Russian variety. They get a raw deal in just about every kaiju movie. Yes, they do. Yes, they do, because it was popular to hate the Soviets, let's be honest, for a really long time. Well, it seems to be popular nowadays as well, uh, kinda, even though they're except, not Soviets. Yeah, yeah, uh, although, like I said, they just show up once. I was expecting, like, flying 
star Tengupus, who wasn't flying at this point, we'll get to that. I was expecting it to get smashed like every other Russian submarine in every other kaiju movie, but that didn't happen. So I guess they were a little luckier than normal. They still died. I don't think luck had anything to do with it. Oh, this is true. This is the kind of movie where five minutes after I finish it, it already starts oozing out of my ears and I forget things. Sounds like a, you're a victim of age and alcohol abuse, my friend. Possibly. Possibly. I'm amazed that this place hasn't driven me to drink. Or rather, I should say, the board has not driven me to drink. But yeah, so we've got funny little things like that. But then you get to the special effects in this movie, and they're half decent. They're not nearly as shoddy as you would expect, which actually makes it a little bit annoying. <laughs> I must say, though, for a giant starfish monster didn't have a lot of mobility, which is fine if you're doing a starfish monster on the bottom of the sea, but floating at the top of the sea, it just kind of sat there like an island. I don't know. Uh, a monster island, you could say? Perhaps I need to revise my lawsuit. <laughs> uh, I No, no, sue them. Sue them. But <laughs> if they... Class if, action, if, I'm sure it's a class action suit from all of us here on Monster Island. If <laughs> it was an intentional, Island. if it was intentional that the monster be the island itself, they have a case. Oh, great. We just fed them a defense. I'm sorry. Gary, I'm getting the prospectus now, Raymond. <sighs> oh, good grief. I'm sorry, Gary. I, I, you know what? I, I apologize doubly to you for giving yes. you more work now. I, I, I don't even think about it anymore. I think, I, I think I've lost the will to live. We'll get you some help. We'll get you some help, okay? I think I've lost your will to have a life outside of Oh, Raymond. okay, okay, that, that's, that's good. You that, need to that's, clarify. It's better. Still kind of depressing, but, you know, it's better. Okay. But hey, I get to dress up like a wombat, right? Uh, yes, this is, this is true. This is, uh, this is very true. The, did you wash it? I hope you washed it since last time. I still yeah. owe you for that dry cleaning bill, don't I? Yes. Still waiting on that. Dang it. And, you know, now that I've basically had my fake raise taken away from me, that's going to take a little longer. Do you take IOUs? Absolutely not. Okay. The legal action team is less of a team and more of a slush fund. Well, sounds like I'm getting some overtime uh, this holiday season. Hmm. Oh, boy. Going to do some extra curating. For a little while. Hmm. Extra researching. Hmm. Uh, do you do a lot of research late at night, Gary? We may have to become study buddies for a little while. I work alone. Oh, okay. Darn it. I tried. I tried. I eat alone. I drink alone. Oh, uh, except for that's... when I meet Jimmy over at the Markalite Lounge. Oh, well, we should. That, that'd be a great place to study, actually. Yeah. We can work. We can we can work remotely from the Markalite Lounge, right? Right, Kevin will be. Well, Kevin will do that for us. There's great Wi-Fi over there. I don't know. I think I'm being left out of this conversation. Oh, uh, well, okay. Let's get back to the movie because, uh, as you can tell, I would rather talk about anything other than this movie. <laughs> my sympathies. Uh, but now, so looking at my notes right here, let's since we've broached it already, let's talk about how loose of a mockbuster this is, even by asylum standards. This is the loosest of mockbusters. To be honest, I think the only reason you can truly call it a mockbuster is the fact that it 
aired twice on the Sci-Fi Channel the day after the Hollywood movie premiered. I tend to agree, Mr. Marchand. In fact, <clears throat> I was thinking if they wanted to make it more relevant to the King of the Monsters that came out in 2019, they should have called it Queen of the Monsters. The Star Tangupus does, in fact, give birth to a wide variety of vaguely pterodactylish kind of things. Mm -hmm. So, makes it ostensibly a female, or at least feminine gendered. I mean, starfish are weird like that. From what well, I they are and androgynes, but yeah. let's not get too technical here. Yeah, true. Just say, it would have been a better title, I suppose, if mm. they wanted to actually compete as a mockbuster. Mm. Mm. I, you know what? I agree with you there. Apparently, we need to start helping the asylum do their jobs better. So, I, I wrote down a handful of things. There's a scientist who studied the kaiju, and she's kind of a disgrace scientist, you know, kind of like a Dr. Sarazawa, sort of. More of a, a new age hippie type. Yeah. Damn hippies. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Uh, and they, they use kaiju in this movie to explain natural phenomenon and myths like the monster verse does. Sort of. Although, Tangentially. Yeah. Although weirdly enough, the kaiju and the word kaiju itself are never mentioned until about 20 minutes in when they meet the flying star Tangupus underwater before they find out that it had flying in its name. And it was just the star Tangupus. Actually, and it was it, sleeping. They woke it up. They woke it up. So, I mean, I don't know if that's a monster verse thing or if it's just a general kaiju thing, but they never brought it up. And then suddenly they're name dropping kaiju. And I'm like, why are we talking about kaiju? You never talked about it before. This kind of came out of nowhere. You can't kaiju movie. You can't even kaiju, right? Well, you have to understand one of their scientists. And if you can, if you're not seeing this on the televisio screen, it is a air quotes. She is a geo. What is that? A, a geomythologist. Hmm. Uh, yeah, geomythologist. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Are we just I don't making crap was... up? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I am going to get on the, what did you call it? The Ether something. Ether or Communication Network. The Ether Communication Network. I'm going to jump on there right now and find out if geomythology. Holy crap. Geomythology is real. Good Lord. You are correct, yeah. sir. It, uh, I am on Wikipedia right now. And as we all know, everything is true on Wikipedia, but it's Jim it's, Cracker. That's an entry. Yeah. And it says geomythology also called, I'm going to have to add this to my list of sources now also called legends of the earth, landscape mythology, landscape mythology. I believe this makes sense. I saw a, a tiny little picture of the devil's tower in Wyoming that, to explain these, the, the large striations on the side of it, the, American Indians had an idea that it was a giant bear that was clawing its way up. Right. Which would be geomythology. Right. A term. Yes. Although I'm looking at the term landscape mythology and thinking to myself, so the guy who mows your lawn has an entire like Lord of the Rings style history of the lawn. He has mown. Hold on. Hold on. Yours doesn't. Moving on. So what else do we have here? Myths of observation. What? And natural knowledge. I see why they went with geomythology. Indeed. But it says geomythology is the study of oral and written traditions created by pre-scientific cultures to account for 
often in poetic or mythological imagery, geological events, and phenomena such as earthquakes, volcanoes, floods, tsunamis, land formation, fossils, and natural features of the landscape. Hmm. It was coined, according to this, in 1968 by someone named Dorothy Vitalano? Vitaliano. Vitaliano, thank you. Well, Prego. I stand corrected. This is a new one on me. I, too, watching this movie, considered this a completely fabricated term. I mean, it, it's, I thought as fabricated terms go, it was one of the better ones I've heard, but sheesh. Dropping the ball there, Jimmy. Oh, the out-of-practice excuse. Sure, sure, sure. You you get a little vacation for a month or so, and suddenly you don't know how to do your job. I don't care if you were technically in jail. Oh, okay. Okay, but anyway, I'll just add that to my list of sources there. But anyway... So, let me see. Oh, and, and we have an old scientist who says the kaiju can't be stopped. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. The kaiju. Yeah, she had a pronunciation problem. I was wondering, could she be sued by the country of Japan for misrepresentation of a cultural term? Gary has yet to get back to me on that. You have any idea how hard it is to find out if a country can sue a person? Who wrote a word wrong? Do you? Gary, I do believe you need to take it down a notch. Slightly. Slightly. Cool it. Jimmy, Jimmy, give him a little bit of scotch. Loosen him up a little bit, okay? You know? All right. Is that okay with you, Raymond? I mean, do you are you cool with drinking on the job? Technically, we are off the job at this point. Oh, what? Okay, you didn't tell me that? <sighs> Jimmy, just give me the bottle. Uh, just just don't get too drunk on the air, okay? That happened last year. We don't need that right now. No, Back. I have no intention of getting drunk on the air. You're safe. Okay, good, good. I'm going to suddenly start singing show tunes. Yeah, good, 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 good. That is true. Jimmy might Kirk-foo you like he did like he did the other guy. You're, you're always so sweet to me, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, so we got talk of monsters being destructive or being guardians. But again, this is not really MonsterVerse exclusive. Uh, we, we talked a bit about it already, but the barely legal baby Rodans because a starfish octopus hybrid is clearly going to have little fire-breathing lizards as babies. Uh, 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 let me correct you. It was lava. Yes. Molten magma, not actual fire. Yes. Well, yes. But so they also perfectly whispered. within the realm of intelligent design as it were yes well it's also goes back to i think it's kind of a reference back maybe it was an accident i don't know to rodan <laughs> in the monsterverse who came out of a volcano because there's a lot of talk about volcanoes in this movie and he was supposed to i think somewhere i've heard that rodan is supposed to have lava for blood which means if it actually kind of makes these creatures a little bit horrifying because they're literally spitting their own blood at you well, this brings to mind the horned devil of the American Southwest, mm. where they, as a defense mechanism, they squirt their own blood out of the corners of their eyes at their predators. Mm. Could be something similar to that, that they uh, have a sack in the middle of their throat that allows them to vomit up their blood. Well, But what do I know? I'm just a lawyer. 
But just hopefully they don't do it too much because they would get a little bit lightheaded. And uh, what's the condition where, uh, what is it, uh, hemophilia? Not hemophilia. Is it hemophilia? Depends on what you're talking about. I'm not a doctor. I don't even yeah. play one on television. Yeah, I was just like, you know, this is, you know, you get lightheaded from lack of blood, basically. But, you know, that act- Hypo- actually, I believe that's hypoxia. Isn't hypoxia. It? Okay. See, you know, again, you play a doctor on TV. I understand. <laughs> And then we had the pointless super weapon, kind of. In King of the Monsters, we had the <laughs> we had the unfortunately named Oxygen Destroyer, which should have just been called Super Nuke, and it wouldn't have changed a thing. And here we have a sonic weapon that not Admiral Eric Roberts deploys. And I'm like, that did nothing. It had zero plot relevance, at least the King of the Monsters, and add some plot relevance. This has... <laughs> I do believe it didn't even have any effect on the creature. Nope. None at all. That, that took a flying drone underwater. Yes, I have, I have questions about that myself, because I fly oh. drones. Be still. Carrying a load of what I can only assume is C4 plastic explosives... Underwater and into the mouth of the creature. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There are several questions I have. And they're not even legal questions I have. Mm. Would we care to elucidate on these subjects? Because I I am at a loss for words. And you know me, that rarely happens. Right. It's like, this is like James Bond levels of technology here. I mean, it's an airplane and a submarine. What the heck? Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I don't think there are any drones that can actually do this. I am quite familiar with MI6, and I do not believe Q Branch has anything on their docket like this. They would be very interested in getting a hold of this technology. Right. Should it actually exist. Right. You're talking to them now, Jimmy? Because your drones can do that. Of course your drones can do that. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Mr. From NASA. Are your drones able to tunnel through solid earth? Work in well, progress, so he says. Jim Cracker, that's fantastic news. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah, get with me and the rest of the legal team to kind of hash out the details so you don't get screwed. Uh, patents, right? Got to patent that. Patent law. Not my first choice, but we can work our way through it. I believe Gary took a few courses at the annex. Don't rope me into this one. I'm still mad at you. <sighs> A lot of tension, a lot of tension here. And people think that you know, Jimmy and I don't like each other. Good Lord, guys. I believe it's uh, from all the extracurricular activities uh, he's been doing lately. Mm, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, nearly, you know, dressing up like a wombat, nearly getting eaten by a gauss. I understand. Oh, and then there was the unfortunate bug lady incident, the vampire one. Hmm. Seriously. Leave me alone for a minute, okay? Just okay. You have another bottle of scotch, Jimmy. As nervous as I would be about suggesting this, maybe you should go visit my pseudo sister. Might help you out a little bit. Oh, he's got nothing. All right, we're moving on. All right, I understand. I understand. I think he's actually taking another shot because I suggested that, which I could totally understand. Sometimes I think I have to be drunk to deal with my pseudo sister. Anyway. So we have characters scrambling to revive a kaiju to fight the world-ending kaiju. I still prefer King Ghidorah. Just saying. 
Now, which version of King Ghidorah are we talking about? Well, we're talking about World is... Enders. Doesn't that bring in, I believe, the anime? This three-parter? is true. Yes. Can't remember what it was called. I, I, I vaguely recalled zoning out during that entire debacle. Uh, there was eating. Uh, I believe there was talk about consuming planets of some kind in there. Hmm. Might have been stars. I'm not sure. It depends on how the the title gets translated. And there was some like singularity involved. I believe. Right. Some kind of- oh, uh, yeah. I th- although I, I think you're getting your animes mixed up a little bit there, but I understand. Which would not be the first time. It's not my first choice of media. Right. Right. I prefer uh, good old hard boiled detective novels. Oh, I was thinking Marx Brothers, but. Now, Mr. Marchand, there's no need to take a dig at my age. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. You got age and beauty, right? Mm? Well, my skincare routine is rather extensive. I bet it is. I bet it is. Hey, you go check out the salon here on the island. Did they did they take care of you? Uh, let's leave that for a later discussion. We are talking about a movie here. Yes, yes, we are. And then... The weirdo, barely legal Rodans, they have very odd heads. I will give them credit for that. The creature design in this is goofy, but I kind of like the heads for these things. They open sideways, horizontally. They look a my, little bit my like sculpture here was they, they were going more with an aquatic theme, so they stayed with what looked to me like lobster claws for faces. Hmm. Right, right, which is... Kind of relevant because my friend Damon, who at this point is practically a producer on this podcast, you can't, be careful, Jimmy, you might get replaced. Uh, he wanted to do a couple of giant lobster movies next season. Lobster. That'll be fun. Well, as long as there's bisque involved, I'm right there with you. Oh, I'm sure that Kevin Gomer over at the Markalite Lounge is getting all kinds of lobster meat in. Sounds crackers, it does. Sounds yeah, crackers. Yes, yeah, 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 truly, truly. So, yeah, pretty flimsy as a mockbuster, I have to say. And then there were just some just oddball lines, oddball discussions that I'm like, what is even going on in this? Some of the lines, I will confess, were actually kind of funny. You know, we're groundbreakers, not lawbreakers. Okay, okay, yeah. You get a rim shot for that, okay? That was abusing. Some night rhymes, okay, okay. Don't think it's going to work in most places, but sure. One of my yep. favorites was very relevant to my job. You mm. see, the the geomythologist said to, I guess his name is Mr. Ford, who seems to own mm. everything and all this technology. She says, do you know anything that doesn't involve a desk? Do you know what that is? And he said, a wooden platform with four legs. Mm. That's just a knee slapper, that one is. It was a great oh. pun. I loved it. And it was right near the beginning of the film. Right. Set me up for this to be increasingly great dialogue and just let me down. 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 Yeah. But then there were points where I wasn't sure people knew how to talk. <laughs> What's manganese? You said they were looking for manganese? I'm like, you mean magnesium? Manganese? What's that? Well, what, is that an element made out of Japanese comic books? Is What? <laughs> There is manganese, which is a trace mineral that is present in tiny amounts in the body. Like I said, nobody knows how to talk. And I'm like, what are you even saying? And then another one, my apologies for those who are used to this being a family show, but I was very confused 
there is a point where where not Admiral Eric Roberts, and I double checked it. I turned the subtitles on to make sure that I heard that correctly, and the subtitle line disagreed with what I thought I heard. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, Raymond, but the subtitles claimed that not Admiral Roberts was saying, you bet your britches. Ah, yes. But it's seriously, I, I backed it up to make sure I heard it right. It sounded like he said, you bet your bitches. I'm like, huh? <laughs> Did he screw up the line on purpose? And they just said, eh, we're doing it in one take. And then just, they went with it. We have to remember something about Mr. Eric Roberts and his acting style. He has done better work. We have all seen it, those of us who know of him. But I believe this was done one afternoon in his mother's basement for Coke money. Probably true. And that's a shame. Yes. Very much. Maybe if he had actually used a little bit of that Coke, his performance would have been better. At least more stylish. For sure. Oh, wait. This is, oh, here was another kind of mockbuster thing. Just looking at my notes. I didn't put this under the loose mockbuster stuff we have a character in this a main character who gets unceremoniously killed before the movie's over for no reason ah i do believe i know who you're talking about let me see if i can find his name in my notes please keep talking i'm quite all right oh okay i was just gonna say it's the it's the goofy scientist that we see at the beginning hanging out with the girl scientists doing stuff in what was probably someone's basement but they're passing it off as like a tent where they do stuff with drones and he gets lavaed in a tunnel by one of the barely legal baby rodents. And I'm like, are we going to acknowledge that he died? Oh, barely. Okay. Is anyone else going to die? No. Ah, yes. The character's name is Riley James played Riley. by the inimitable yeah. Chris Fisher. I had notes on him. This was the least believable character in the entire movie, except for his acting scared bits ah which were on point and quite believable i can only assume that they had just threatened him with a gun to his face so that he would act better you know this is the asylum i wouldn't be surprised if they did that well they're no james cameron so well this is true and we all know how terrible he is yeah he's a little nutty he's a little bit nutty but then here's the thing that really gets to me This is a movie that claims, I mean, we've kind of tried to put more thought into this than I think anybody who worked on this did because they thought about it for five seconds and moved on. The titular Monster Island doesn't show up until 70 minutes into the 90-minute movie. And it's the most boring Monster Island I've ever seen. I believe you have notes on this. I do. In fact, I was wondering about this. This is supposed to be a monster island, and yet there are no monsters on it. In fact, there's very little vegetation on it to speak of as well. One wonders if anything can live on it at all. It looks like Bryce Canyon right next to the ocean. Mm. In fact, where are my notes here? Do-do-do-do-do. Oh, Gary needs to work on his... uh, Gary needs to work on his note preparation for you. (laughs) Well, Mr. Marchand... The title is also quite misleading. Monster Island. As the island itself has no existing monsters before the awakening and, quote, defeat of the flying Tengupus or whatever it was that you yes. said. And flying the subsequent, Star Tengupus. 
Star Tangupus, there we go, and the subsequent release of its eggs and spawn, as well as the resulting awakening of the Walking Mountain by sheer happenstance. I would say that this is a breach of contract case, mm. with the audience, of course, for fooling them into thinking this flick would be island-based and filled with critters and kaiju of all shapes and sizes. I believe Kong Skull Island is more likely to be a monster island than this dreck. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, Skull Island is a very well-established island of critters, giant critters, for sure. Yes, it was quite disappointing to find out the monster island was barren of life and uh, monsters. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like you were saying, uh, what did you say it was comparing it to... Oh, Bryce Canyon near the Bryce ocean. Canyon. <laughs> right, right. I mean... But, Beautiful, beautiful landscape. I must yeah. say this. It was very, very scenic. But yeah, but I just didn't like, see but, a single monster. But I would really like to know how how could they get away with this stealing the name like that? I believe, and don't get me wrong, but I believe that there have been many monster islands in the history of media, both written and film and really? radio. Right? Really? Really? I, I, I believe I. I think Gary. Jimmy mentioned something about Gary had some notes on that. Can you pass Gary? those along to me, Gary? Gary? Are you sober? I'm fine. I'm just. I just took the edge off. We're, we're, we'll be good. But yes, I, uh, m- uh, Mr. Marshall, I sent. Uh, I sent you a Google Docs with oh, okay. uh, all the instances of a monster island in it. Okay. It's, okay. it's pretty extensive, so okay. you know, it's gonna yeah, take some here. time. Let me look this up here. Let me see. Oh my, Godzilla! I... Yeah, this is a much older term than I thought. In fact, in one instance, it actually predates the establishment of the island. I mean, because you got to understand, back in the late 60s, early 70s, it was called Monster Island. And then, according to the documentation I'm looking at here, once the scientific facility was established in 1999, they realized that they couldn't go by Monster Island because they couldn't trademark it. So they went with Monsterland. Hmm. Which okay. to me just sounds like a theme park. Yeah, it does sound like a theme park uh, and not a scientific facility. Although I see a little footnote here from Gary that says that the funny thing is, is that the island may have some litigation against some a couple of people because Monsterland has been used since then. Well, it seems my... My paralegal has gone above and beyond. Kudos, Gary. Yeah, because there is a television show called that started in 2020 called Monsterland, and there is a novel. I believe. Oh no, no, get it's away a, no, the... it is a 26. Excuse me, a 2016 film called Monsterland. Hmm. Interesting. Clearly, hmm, guys, well say, after, novels could probably get away with this. Yeah, clearly, well after 1999. <laughs> so, got a case there, but they can't do anything about Monster Island. Nope. Yeah, I believe it's free and clear. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Open source, as they say. I think I believe I talked about that at the beginning of the show. Yes, we did. But yeah, I'm looking at this. And I'm also seeing, here's another footnote from Gary who actually says, as extensive as this is, this is not every example of the name Monster Island being used. That is a little insane to me because, let me see here. So he says these are in no particular order, which, okay. So we have... Monster Island, a 2004 movie with Carmen Electra. Ah, Carmen Electra. Great name. It's a great name, but I, my first instinct when I see that is, is this softcore porn? I don't <laughs> want to find out. 
And then we have, from 1981, Mystery on Monster Island. Okay? And then we have Monster Island, a 2017 animated film that is not about kaiju. It's more like Kitty takes on the Universal Monsters. Hmm. Okay? And then we have a short film from 1996 called Clayboys on Monster Island. That bodes very, very not well. Yeah. And then we have a 2014 video game called, oh, this is a variation on the name, but it's Monster Egg Island. Hmm. That egg in the middle there. I believe it gives them the cachet that they can get away with. Yeah. Seeming to be something else. Yeah, that's a that's a very asylum style move there, I have to say. Even though it's not an it not was not produced by the asylum. And then there were three short films in 2012, 2014, and 2016 called Monster Island. Hmm. Oh, and I I had some people who were sharing this with me and they're like, "Hey, what's going on here?" And I'm like, "That is uno- unofficial to Monster Island, sir." Uh, there is a 2021 Chinese film called Monster Island, but it was also called Behemoth Island. And I do believe that that one hasn't yet been released to the greater public. It's still locked within China itself. Yeah, because I haven't seen it yet. I can, I've barely been able to see trailers. Yeah. And it looks like they have a, a knockoff King Kong in there because everybody has a knockoff King Kong. What else is new? And I think there's a giant snake, I believe. So it's like, are you ripping off us or are you ripping off Kong 76? Like everybody and his dog. Well, we talked about the legalities of Kong before. Uh, yeah, and I still can't unravel that. Mm. I'm not sure. <laughs> Even you, the experts- I'm not sure the combined powers of you and Gary can unravel that. Not even a close. No. But then there were various... Gary says here, episodes of television called Monster Island. So you had Animal Planet Presents, Rambo. Oh, my gosh. The Saturday morning Rambo cartoon for children. Different times. <laughs> the, 2000, the 2002 Cyborg 009 anime. A show I've never, uh, several shows here I have never heard of. One called The New Schmoo. Ah, yes, the Schmoo. First introduced in the 1940s as a cartoon character in the venerable old comic strip of Little Abner back in the 1950s. Ah. 40. I said 40s originally, and I was wrong. It is the 1950s. Ah. Uh, you fact-checked yourself before, before I Gary fact-checked did. myself. Jimmy, you're out of a job. Uh, no, Gary. Gary fact-checks you. <laughs> well. This is your podcast, Mr. Marchand. I assume that Mr. From NASA would be fact-checking all of us. Well, yeah, he's been remarkably quiet this episode, which is kind of funny. I guess he's, you know, he's got to keep Gary under control and entertained, I suppose. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, with a little drink, everybody becomes much more mellow. Right, right. And then some show I have most definitely never heard of called, although admittedly the title is cute, called Bounty Hamster. Bounty Hamster. I'm going to self-correct myself again. The Shmoo started in 1948. <laughs> you were correct the first time. I was correct the first time. I should not have, not have questioned myself. I am Raymond Martin, Esquire. I am never wrong. Not yes. when legal matters are at, at bay. So let's go ignore me. I'm done. 
Yes. <laughs> All right, we still got some things to talk about, Raymond. I, I still need your legal expertise here. And then, well, of course. And a couple of shows that are relevant to my audience. We had an episode of Ultraman Dinah from the 90s called Battle Monster Island. Spectre Man, a tokusatsu ah, show from the early 70s that had Infiltrate Monster Island because it has exclamation points. Two exclamation points, I might add. So you really got to emphasize it. Much like them. Yeah, them, which was all caps and had one exclamation point. So all caps cancels out one exclamation point. That's just Indeed. how this works, people. And then in the late 70s, we had The Ultraman, which was the anime that had an episode called The Mysterious Monster Island. Ooh. And if then they're was, monsters, and how can they be mysterious? They're right there, right in front of you. I don't know, but then it's but, what, yeah. give the kids what they want. Monsters. Yes. But that's just a handful of examples, according to Gary here. But then he said, but wait, there's more It's like an infomercial. There were examples outside of film. He said, we had a book called monster Island, a zombie novel by David Wellington. This is an Amazon listing. There is a monster Island in dragon ball Z that is apparently ruled by Android 17. Okay. Got to earn that green somehow. Yep. And have you ever heard of Roblox? Yes, I have. The bastard version of Legos. Yes. Apparently they have a location or a set or something of their product that takes place in on the Monster Island. So it's plural, which seems like a very, you know, if you look at the asylum's library, that's a very asylum thing to do. Make it plural and nobody you know, can sue you, but nobody bats an eye, nobody bats an eye too much anyway. But, and this is something I've talked with my friend Damon about this. He remembered a monster Island in Marvel comics. Ah, uh, yes. I seem to recall that when we were talking about the legalities of Marvel universe using Godzilla in their comics in the 1970s. Yes. Although that was a deal that they struck with Toho. But did you know that they still use his image? Oh, that yes. Same Green Tyrannosaur, fire-breathing dragon. Yep. Always in the background, never named. Yep, but according to this, it goes by a couple of other names. It is now apparently more commonly called Monster Isle, not Island, or... Well, they're skirting the legal issues without even worrying about the fact that they can get away with whatever they want. Right, and then apparently there was it was featured in an issue of an X-Men comic, and it was... Translated into Japanese, Kaibutsujima, which is just Monster Island in Japanese, not Kaiju Island. That'd be, a little, I guess that's a, you know, we can't, it was too early before Kaiju became a loan word in English. So they went with another word for monster in Japanese that's not strange beast and giant. Just means monster. Just means monster. But this made its first appearance. In Fantastic Four number one in August 1961, which technically predates everything. I am going to give you another mind blower here. Also in the Marvel Universe, there is an island called Krakoa. Krakoa oh, yes. is actually a living island. In fact, it is a monster island. Wow. Uh, does Krakoa hang out with Ego? I do believe that would be a no since uh, <clears throat> Ego is too full of himself. Ah, well, he is a planet, so. Maybe Ego should get together with the DC Universe Mojo. This is true. Who's also a planet. 
Mm, but a Green Lantern. Yes. So a villain and a hero. Ooh, that's a crossover I would love to see. Come along, Mr. Marchand. It's like a Catholic and a Jewish person getting together and having children. It, anything can work out. This is true, and they haven't done it officially in 20 years. I miss when they would do that. Planets get together? No, I'm talking about Marvel and DC crossing over. Well, that's a legal question that we'll leave for another day. For sure, for sure. But speaking of legal questions, I know you wanted you had opinions about the fact that even though I've been jokingly calling the kaiju, and it's me to talk about the actual monsters in this, good lord, these monsters, I, <sighs> I'm not impressed. We're not I, even going to bring up the walking mountain since, I'm sorry, there was nothing to him. Don't even know if it's a him. I'm not sure it's an anything. <laughs> it literally was a mountain on two legs. It just didn't do anything for me. It doesn't even look like a lizard. or It, it, it looks like nothing. I mean, it kind of looks like a couple of monsters that were in Power Rangers slash Super Sentai. But that's about it. So The only of... redeeming feature, it seemed to have those giant forearms and giant calves. Uh, you give it a little stability on ground. But for the most part, unimpressive. Right. Unimpressive from, a, from any kind of aesthetic standard. However, we are not going to talk about the living mountain at this point. We are going to talk about what they called it, the Tengu. Oh, it's, it's, I will tell you, my initial research for this episode was me fact-checking the snot out of this movie. Because they said, it's you and me so both, the, the, fly, the flying star flying Tengu puss. Yeah, they just called it Indeed. a Tengu. And according to... Crazy science to Dr. Crazy Scientist Lady, you know, the when she's talking about Caillou, she says Tengu translates as destroyer. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm about ready to hit the rent master button from my from the power trip because no, that is not what a Tengu is. I know you've got notes on this too, Raymond. This is as far from a Tengu as you could get. The name originally meant heavenly dog or heavenly sentinel. And there's nothing, there are no tengu in, as far as I can tell, in Japanese myth that are described as looking like this thing. Well, let's take it from its basics. It's a giant starfish. Yes? Yes. One would think that one would have a simple aquatic name for this thing and not name it after something that is best represented as a a fusion of human, monkey, and bird. Yes. As the Tengu is normally seen as, as a yokai or a kami. Yes. So I was wondering, and I I didn't even give this one to Gary. I was wondering myself, and I got on the, the Ether Communication Network, and I fact-checked myself, because I was very curious. Looking up the Tengu, is there a possible lawsuit, any case history of, I don't know, working up unfair use of son? Yeah, just, I just, they abused this name. Yes. They abused it. And this causes me great pain. When someone takes... I know what it is. I just had an idea. Shazam! It is cultural appropriation. Yes. In the worst possible cultural. way. Cultural. Yes. It's not only cultural appropriation, it's misrepresentation. Cultural appropriation and misrepresentation. Get them on both sides. Oh! Huzzah! <laughs> Bam! <laughs> Gary! I'm on it, Raymond. Don't worry. <laughs> Well, that felt good. <laughs> I it, yeah, it should. It should. Because I'm all for sticking it to these guys. But yeah, not only that, but 
Buddhism considered Tengu to be harbingers of war in the past. That's about as close as you can get to anything like this from what I was reading. You mentioned birds, you know, so there are bird creatures in Power Rangers called Tengu and Indeed. some associated them with the bird god Garuda. Not freaking Starro here. <sighs> you have to understand something. Starro was also intelligent. Yes. The, the, the Tengu are also intelligent. This thing at best, had the mind of a starfish, which a decentralized nervous system, you know, little nerve clusters at the ends of their tentacles so that they know where they're going and what they can, what they can, what they're tasting. I'm sorry. This was not a Tengu in any way, shape or form. Yeah. It you, wasn't even much of a destructor. Yeah. You fail asylum. But again, knowing them, this was probably on purpose. That's the thing. Well, I, can can never for, I can forgive incompetence. Intentional misrepresentation. So much no. misrepresentation. Oh. There is another point I have to make, and it is about the Tengu's spawn, as it were. These strange bat-like claw-headed vomiters of molten magma. They had a vocalization in this flick, and it reminded me of something. So I went back into my audiovisual library to the Tremors movies. Ah, yes. We all know how good the Tremors movies are. Well, the first one anyway. <laughs> These critters sounded very similar, deceptively similar to the Ass Blasters and the Shriekers. Mm. I am thinking that I need to make a new case. And that case will be Unfair use of sonic vibrations. Huzzah! Oh, that sounds... I'll be making... I will be making new law. Uh, Gary! This is going to be epic to use your phraseology. I'm looking forward to it. That sounds beautifully legal ease. It's like the most beautiful legal ease I have heard in a long time. I didn't know that could be possible. Well, we don't know what's possible in the legal realm until we actually try it. Right. Did we know it was legal to, to sue McDonald's for coffee that was too hot? Of course not. Until a woman gets third degree burns on her thighs. Yeah, that was unfortunate. That was unfortunate. Did we know that it was legal to sue the pharmaceutical companies because it was too easy to get into their little pill bottles? Mm. Now we have screw on caps that only children can enter. Yeah, which accomplished the exact opposite of what they were trying to do kids these days gotta love them yeah it's so childproof the adults can't open it and the kids can anyway uh, oh you have opinions jimmy oh the cheetos incident that was ah uh, yes i believe we both looked up these uh cheetos incidents and came up with a big fat goose egg yeah yeah i was like what the heck is he talking about i remember that because jimmy and i had a bit of a chat about that i paused the movie and i said you know what i'm gonna look into this because jimmy didn't know anything about it and then i did some research he's like well maybe it was while you weren't at nasa you know after the war in space and all that fun stuff and i found a lot of nothing this talk about cheetos on on the space shuttle i'm like what is it like flatulence or something i it's what it sounded I like it was, it was, they were talking about it because they're saying like hey don't pass gas in the sun in the submarine and then they're like it's like the space shuttle like what the heck are you talking about <laughs> I, I, jimmy thought it might have had something to do with the cheeto dust which would be very hard to get out get out of the equipment in a zero g environment that's for sure but then 
I looked up something and that someone brought up involving Cheetos in space, and I can't begin to tell you how hard Jimmy rolled his eyes because some rando on Reddit asked the question about whether or not a free-floating Cheeto in orbit of Earth could take out the International Space Station if it collided with it in orbit. Hmm. And Jimmy said, like, oh, that came up, and then all of us had to do research and experiments to see if that was true. And we made the obvious conclusion of, no, it can't. If a Cheeto hits the skin of the International Space Station, it just gets turned into plasma, and the space station goes about its merry way. But a milk dud. I believe a milk dud could do some serious damage to the space station. Uh, calm the heck down, Jimmy, okay? I don't need a rant master for you two, okay? Jeez. Because now all of his buddies are going to have to experiment to determine that now. I was also thinking, during the climax... <clears throat> that that was a me. climax? This had a climax? That's my point. <laughs> the climax of this movie, I use the term loosely, of course, begins and ends far too quickly for my taste. No suspense with the monster fight. No give and take of blows. No unusual powers on display. Is this even a monster fight? It's more like a hug fight you'd see at the local gymnasium on Wednesday amateur fight night. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, Very disappointing. Yes. And then at the end, after it, you know, the hugging and the shooting in the eye, I'm not even sure what happens. It appears that the living mountain turns into a spiky egg thing and flying star tangopus is gone. It almost seemed as if they merged into one being or potential being. But I felt that they missed a prime opportunity for a Jim Cracker joke. There is a, uh, an old saying from the 18, I believe it's the 1860s. Yes, nope, 1890s, phrase from the Old West. Here's mud in your eye, right? Simple. Right. We all know it. We've all heard it. What it means is that if you're on a racehorse, and it's usually said by the winner, He's saying, here's mud in your eye because his horse is kicking mud into your horse's eyes. Mm -hmm. And he's basically going, ha ha, I'm better than you. They missed an opportunity for Mr. Ford to use that bow and arrow that they hastily created. Where did they get the cat gut? That's what I want to know. These are the serious questions. Call the Inquirer. He shoots it. Now he's using Tengu spawn blood yeah. at the end of this obsidian to shoot it into the eye of the living mountain. Why didn't he say, here's blood in your eye? It was the perfect opportunity. And he missed it. Yeah, there's a problem if we're coming up with better action movie one-liners for them <laughs> than they are. But then again, we could have suggested that to Mr. Atkins, writer-director Mr. Mark Atkins, and he would have said, ah, that's too good for the asylum. Like, but you had corny lines like this before already that lied to us and made us think that this movie would be halfway decent and not boring. Well, that's the problem. It was halfway decent, so it ended up being boring. Right. Right. Oh, but we got to talk about, oh, you want to talk about legal ramifications, Raymond. Hmm. Oh, our closing line that I'm like, is this trying to be Godzilla 2000? You know, the famous line from the dub of Godzilla 2000 when our star, the scientist guy on there, the dad, he says, maybe it's because Godzilla is inside all of us. There's a little bit of Godzilla inside all of us. Yes. Oh, what a, what a positive, uplifting sight that we are all 
part of this greater thing than we are. Yes. Except the closing line of this movie was uh, not quite as uh, uplifting, I believe. No, no. So we have the weirdo ending with the spiky egg thing that confuses me to this day. And by to this day, I mean like since like the, you know, since I just saw this movie. I believe (laughs) it's 36 hours. Yeah. Yeah, not very long. (laughs) And they try to sequel bait because they're like, are there more of these things? And then Dr. Crazy Scientist Lady says, oh, yes, there are more Caillou, surely, because now the whole world is Monster Island. They're setting up a sequel. Monster Earth. (sighs) Or Monster World? (laughs) Like Monster Six Hunter one, World? Have is it like is it like a sequel, uh, like a sequel mockbuster to both Monster Hunters? Because yes, they made a Monster Hunter mockbuster that might actually be able to compete with for being better than the original movie. Is it like a sequel to both of these Monster World instead of Monster Hunter World? Uh, my, I believe my brain, my brain is exploding. <laughs> I, for my part, as long as they don't make it Monster Moon. I'll be satisfied. Oh no, they are. They've done a. They did a Moonfall mockbuster too, and apparently Moonfall is a. It's already movie. a mockbuster. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like mockbuster Inception. I it just. Uh, hmm. But now they're trying to claim the entire world as Monster Island. They now they're. There has to be legal recourse for that. You can't say that the entire world is Monster Island. Okay, we have one. They can mo- get well, away with it. to be two Monster Islands. You know, and we have a couple. They can get away with. They can get away. Let me interrupt you here for a minute, Mister Marshan. If you remember Carl Sagan, eminent mm-hmm. astrophysicist, mm-hmm. he called us a pale blue dot in the sky, an island in the sea of space. As oh it were. no! Technically, a planet is an island in a sea of nothingness, in a vacuum. Legally, it fits. It can be argued that this is possible. I don't like it. And there is an old sci-fi movie called This Island Earth. Indeed. Sorry, Rod Taylor. What a man. Dang it. Target! All right. Now, you... I believe the thing you are looking for is Asylum! Ah! Asylum! It's like Khan, you know. It's a, asylum! Now... I know you didn't watch the credits. Did you make Gary watch the credits, or did you both just completely skip out on that? I believe Gary was busy uh, removing his lunch from his digestive tract. Right. In the lavatorium. Right. I was throwing up. It was terrible. Mm. Lavatorium. And we've been talking about lava blood. Nice job, Jimmy. But I actually, I was taking some summary notes, and I just let the movie keep playing. And then I looked up, and I saw some of the credits were like, what in the frick? First off, I have to ask, do you know a fella by the name of Scott Meehan? Because he handled legal services for the asylum, I'm guessing, regarding this movie. The name has come up in our briefs, but, you know, I don't delve too deeply in other, other lawyers' businesses. I'm just wondering, because I'm like, he must have done a dang good job, because, good Lord, so many legal loopholes that allow them to make their stuff. You might want to yes, talk indeed. to this guy, because... You must be like a star lawyer. That's all I have to say. Although maybe not as good of a star as he would like to be because I looked up some skeletons in the asylum's closet. Oh, really? Yes, I, I must did. have missed those. I, yes, I did. But here was the part that really 
surprised me. I first saw their names pop up under a special thanks section, backed up the credits, and then saw that they had contributed some very specific things to the making of this movie. And I'm thinking, guys, where are you slumming? Uh, it's just 2019. <laughs> the pandemic hasn't happened yet. Why are you slumming for the asylum? But in special thanks, we saw Matt Frank the famous kaiju comic book artist who also now does physical media covers and Avery Guerrera, the man who runs sci-fi Japan. And then they were mentioned a special thing. So like, what did they do? And then I looked back in the credits, Matt Frank was credited with creature design, at least creature design concept for the flying star Tengu puss. I'm sorry, Mr. Frank. You're going to be hearing from our offices. Sounds like it sounds like it. Although, I mean, if he was just doing this as like contract work, can you really hit him with anything? I mean, you'd have to go to the studio, right? We'd have to go to the source, indeed. Yeah. And uh, the asylum is fairly bulletproof on most cases. In most cases. In most cases. And then Mr. Guerrera was credited as a quote-unquote special advisor. Hmm. I think think they either ignored his advice or he gave the bad <laughs> advice or or it wasn't much advice or something because have you looked at this movie and he also was their publicist I'm like hmm what because what you wrote an article that this saying this movie exists on sci-fi japan is that what you did I think they're stretching the definitions here. At least I would hope they're stretching the definitions. But that's not even the weirdest part, Raymond. Do tell. They had a section under special thanks that I have never seen in movie credits before. Maybe I just don't pay enough attention. But they had very special thanks. Very special thanks. Ooh, yes. La la. And if you, you want to talk about shocking, I wasn't prepared to see these. Under very special thanks, we had Robert Scott Field, the man mm. who famously played M11 on Godzilla versus King Ghidorah in 1991. And let me tell you, I've talked with M11 on occasion. He's actually very happy with Robert Scott Field. I have no idea what this man did on this movie. Well, Mr. Marchand, I can speculate if you'd like. Uh, go for it. Perhaps this performer met with the asylum people at a conventionary gathering. Mm. Asked them what they were working on. They gave some pointers, maybe showed them some sketches from Mr. Matt Frank. I believe he may have said, hey, I have some insights. I was in a monster movie myself, don't you know? And because of this synergy, serendipity. Sure. But can you explain the next one? Now, I was confused how this was formatted in the credits, so I don't know if this was supposed to be, you know, Robert Scott Field and then the rest of this name, or if this is a wholly separate thing. But I looked at that and I'm like, hold the phone. What? Did the asylum rip off my show? I'm a little curious about this, Mr. Marchand. Yes, because... You seem to be having... Problems breathing. A conniption? That would be accurate. One could say. It's just, 
No, Jimmy, I don't want any of your scotch right now. Whatever this is, I tried to Google this and I couldn't find anything about it. The voice performance Isla's Ogasawara radio. Hmm. I'm like, hold on. First off, Isla or Isla's, that's like Spanish. So we're mixing a couple of languages here. So we have Isla's and we have Ogasawara and it's a radio show. Voice, voice performance Isla's Ogasawara radio. Hmm. Raymond? I think you and Curious. I are going to have to meet because I think they ripped me off. Well, let's go back in time. When was this movie made? It was released June 1st, 2019. When was your first podcast? September of 2019. Hmm. I don't believe you have any legal recourse here. Dagnabbit. Um, however, we can do some more deep diving. Gary is certainly up for it, aren't you, Gary? Sure, put it on the pile. The ever-growing pile. I'm just saying, I, I, I'm starting to wonder if maybe, like, this is going to be their version of my show on their cheap Monster Island attraction. I can't say bootleg anymore, I know. but <laughs> Cheap, cheap you can get away with. Cheap is just a general term. Knockoff? Mockbuster Monster Island? I wouldn't go so far. Eh. I mean, Mr. Winter does have deep pockets. He does. Or at least he used to. Yeah, and I think he gave them the pennies in his pockets. Hmm. Because it is the asylum, after all. Indeed. They literally well, make try to basically fool you, even though they say they aren't, fool you into thinking that they made the same movie with fewer people and pennies. <laughs> Maybe a little pocket lint on occasion. You know, I do believe this radio station is... Uh, is free and clear in this instance. However, uh, it does smack of perhaps time travel, hence M11. I see the uh, connection there. I'm going to have to have a talk with M11. Hmm. Jimmy, we need to make some arrangements after the show. Exactly. Hmm. I don't know how, how time travel factors into legalities. I'll leave that up to you and Gary. It's but, very messy. Oh, yeah, trust me. I know. Try unraveling what happens in Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. Good luck with that. We don't touch that with a 10-meter cattle prod. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's the best variation of that phrase I've ever heard. <laughs> and we just celebrated Christmas, so, you know, you're scaring the Grinch off pretty effectively, I'm sure. Indeed. Yes. All right. Well, that's all the notes of import that I have on this. Do you have anything else before, you know, I talk a little bit about the asylum and their mockbuster business? I had one very esoteric observation here. There was a television show that starred Amanda Tapping. Yes. You may know, know her as, you know, Colonel Samantha Carter from Stargate SG-1. Yes, very familiar. It was called Sanctuary, mm. and it was about a group of people, subterfuge, whatever, basically saving aberrant critters like uh, a werewolf or you know a, a bigfoot or anything you know they are they are variant humans basically mm -hmm. and they are saving them pu putting them in the sanctuary to make sure that they are not killed mm. one two-part episode springs to mind there was a creature a a giant marine arachnid called colloquially by the by the members of the team big bertha she was, however, also known as Kali, the Destroyer. Mm. 
seems a bit similar to the Tengu thing. Mm-hmm. Now, this kaiju-sized critter was vastly old, ancient, much like the 20,000 years in the past at the beginning of this piece of dreck. <laughs> that pointless flashback. <laughs> incredibly pointless. She, this Kali, was also vastly intelligent. She also had sane powers that had to deal with forcing shifts in the tectonic plates, producing earthquakes, devastating tsunami. And that was her job. When the humans got a little too uppity, she would come out of the ocean, crawl onto the nearest volcano, and set up sonic vibrations in the Earth's crust, reducing them back to their Stone Age technological levels. The Tengu, in this particular flick, is a pale imitation at best, and a ripoff at worst, as you would say, legal proceedings, perhaps, Mm. for... uh, Imitation may well be the sincerest form of flattery, but in legal circles, it's called plagiarism! Yes! And we shall have satisfaction! Uh, You and I are in agreement there. We don't like plagiarism around here. We will have no plagiarism on the island. No, not at all. Although, knowing the board. Anyway, before I risk my job and my contract again, (laughs) let's move on to, you know, since we're talking about legal dubiousness. So... We've mentioned a little bit the asylum. One of their trademarks is they make mockbusters. Okay, I mentioned that this is a mockbuster of King of the Monsters 2019. This is not their first one. Now they have other kaiju movies that are technically original, but they make the B movies of old look Oscar worthy by comparison. <laughs> Indeed. <sighs> hmm. They make Godzilla versus Megalon look Oscar worthy by comparison. And, you know, I will hear no bad talk about Godzilla versus Megalon. I was in the theaters the day it opened and I loved it. Oh, I love it too, but it's not a good movie. Although, and and if Damon was here, you know, and he went on a tirade about Godzilla's revenge, he would still probably agree with me. Oscar worthy by comparison. So I went through the list of releases. Probably not the full list, because according to the Asylum's own website, they have produced 500 movies, 25 a year since 1997. I looked up a list, and I tried to find all of their kaiju films, because, good Lord, someone's probably going to try to sponsor them on Patreon, on MIFV Max. I dread the day. Now, I left off their sci-fi movies, their dinosaur movies, and their fantasy movies, you know, in case they had, like, dragons or momentary giant monsters. You know, regular creature features, if it was, you know, the smaller variety of monsters, or what I thought were movies with dubious kaiju. So, basically, I'm just going to focus on the ones that I know are mockbusters. So, just to give you a quick rundown, so we have King of the Lost World. Which was a mockbuster of King Kong 05. We had Monster, not the one you're thinking of, from 2008. There was a mockbuster of Cloverfield. Hmm. Which, I mean, found footage is probably the easiest one to mockbust because they're not that expensive. And then in 2013, they had Atlantic Rim. Take a wild guess what that's a mockbuster for. Let me see. Titanic? No, they do have a Titanic 2, which seems like it's a sequel, but it's actually just a second ship called the Titanic Uh that also sinks. 
proven that you should never name anything Titanic. No, Pacific Rim. But here's the funny thing. Apparently, I, I, I couldn't find anything that talked about this, but I'm guessing they might have gotten into a little bit of legal trouble with, you know, at least quietly, with Guillermo del Toro, because I've also seen this movie marketed as the very generic-sounding Attack from Beneath. Hmm. Curious, Aaron. Curious. Yes. And, notably, this has been featured on an episode of MST3K. They have only done one Asylum movie, and it was that one. And I can understand why. It's not... I'm glad that they did it, but the thing is, is the Asylum is not really the style of movie that MST3K likes to mock. They like mocking sincere bad movies. Indeed. The ones that were made by people who lacked the talent or time or resources, usually all of the above, in trying to make a film, but they meant to make something good. The Asylum makes intentionally bad movies, so it's a little harder to do. Yes, it would be, wouldn't it? Right. And then in, also in 2013, I'm kind of skirting the definition of kaiju here, but they made a movie called Jack the Giant Killer, which was a mockbuster of Jack the Giant Slayer. That's dangerously close, I'm just saying. Well, it is based on a fairy tale, and fairy tales are in the public domain. So. They are. In fact, they have actually made Marvel knockoffs, like Avengers knockoffs, but they use fairy tale characters. But they would call it, like, Grimm's Avengers and get away with it. It's just Grimm thinking about it. Man, you're on a roll today, Raymond. And then the Kaiser roll. Uh, wow. Okay. No, wait. I fought the Kaiser. That was World War One. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Slow down. Slow down, man. Slow down. Okay. We only got so many rim shots. All right. And then they made Megalodon again, skirting the definition of kaiju, but they made Megalodon, which was a mock in 2018 and mockbuster of the Meg. Also, 2018 because you had to Atlantic Rim Resurrection which was a mockbuster for Pacific Rim Uprising. Hmm. You know, if this had been, say, you know, six, eight months ago, I might have said maybe it was better than the what they were mocking. But after doing a little bonus episode with Jack G-Man Hudgens, I'm much more forgiving of Uprising, so I'm still going to stick with it. Uprising is still better. Then the movie we talked about today. And then, oh my gosh, I think I joked about this a little bit earlier. This is a very common tactic that the Asylum uses. They just make the title plural, and apparently they are legally untouchable. But 2021, no, 20, excuse me, 2020, they made Monster Hunters a mockbuster of Monster Hunter, which is already a terrible movie. Well, I mean, it was the Mila Jovovich movie, wasn't it? Yes. I should say no more. Maybe. Now, this one I'm including, not because it was an actual mockbuster, it's just a sequel to the mockbuster that didn't have, an, that the original source material didn't have a sequel yet. But Megalodon Rising in 2021, that's a sequel to Megalodon. Now, this one I have an asterisk next to because they stole the title. This has to be one of the most shameless things I've ever seen them do. They stole the title and nothing else. But Attack on Titan. Now, a little hot under the cover there, Mr. Marchand. I am, because I like Attack on Titan. It's a manga and an anime. 
And I saw, like, you've got to be kidding me. And I looked into it. I, I watched the trailer. It is not kaiju-related at all. The Titan that they are referring to in this is Saturn's moon, and the characters are fighting aliens there. Legally, they are on firm footing. They are, but still, I'm like, really, guys? Really? Shameless. But yes, I mentioned they, they were founded in 1997. Indie film studio. They make low-budget direct video or TV. They make a lot of stuff for Seafy, formerly the Sci-Fi Channel. Sci-Fi Channel already has a terrible reputation. <laughs> Nobody who makes movies for them makes anything good, usually. They are best known for the Sharknado movies, of which there are now six, but apparently they're done. Well, that, doesn't that just stir your tea? Yeah. They are notorious for their mockbusters, as I've already mentioned. They also have started making television shows. They have something on Seafy called Z Nation. That when I looked into it, I'm like, this seems an awful lot like The Walking Dead. And yet this show is apparently popular. Because it is irreverent. It is not as doom and gloom as The Walking Dead happened to be. It seems to be a little bit more irreverent, mm. if you will. Wow. And so Never. it captures the young viewers. Mm. Never seen it, so I can't comment. And their titles are, and this is funny because I'm like, this looks like an asylum movie, but it doesn't have the asylum's name on it. Oh, I'll wait. It's because these guys are just distributing the movies for them. But their movies are distributed by Echo Bridge Home Entertainment. Oddly enough, they put out a Godzilla movie on Blu-ray for the first time by Alante. Hmm. An outfit called GT Media. And as of 2015, Cynodyne. And they have a streaming service on Pluto TV. So if you ever just want to watch nothing but asylum movies, there's a streaming service for you. Well, Jim Crackers, I got to get right on that. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I pity, I'm joking, I, of course, I was because say, I, could, I don't think my intestines could take it. I'm. Uh, you might kill your paralegal. Uh, that was my concern. Just because he watches something in his spare time does not mean I am sitting next to him. Thank ah, you very much. Smart move, Gary. Smart move. Yeah. So their founders were, I have no idea who this is, but apparently he was a film director, a guy named David Michael Latt. And... A pair of executives, formerly of Village Roadshow, named, I hope I say these names right, David Ramawi and Sherry Strain. Hmm. Curious. I have no idea who any of them are. I do know Village Roadshow. I do know that. Yes, I have heard of them before. Yeah. Now, this is taken directly from the Asylum website. This is how they present themselves. If you go to their Our Story section... Hilariously, under the same, uh, under also under about us was careers. Just for fun, I looked. They are not hiring. <laughs> I'm going to assume it's incredibly easy to work for them. So, according to them, this is their story. Quote, the asylum is one of the world's leading brand-oriented motion picture and television studios with a focus on high-concept, market-driven entertainment. Like, the Sharknado franchise and the popular Black Summer, which is a, a sequel to Z Nation. So basically, uh, what's the Walking Dead sequel again? Good question. I don't know. Oh, Fear the Walking Dead. So basically, Fear the Walking ah. Dead and Z Nation TV series. The Asylum finances, produces, and releases 25 films per year through its direct pipeline to the nation's top platforms and its network of international partners. 
Since its founding in 1997, the Asylum has released more than 500 films and has built a library of over 300 original productions, including top-rated programs for Netflix, Tubi, Sci-Fi, Lifetime, Ion Television, Animal Planet, as well as Hallmark Channel, Sony Television, BET, and Universal TV. The Asylum's apocalyptic thriller Black Summer was the number one scripted series on its Netflix release. And its critically acclaimed action horror series Z Nation is one of sci-fi's longest running and highest rated. Now, the Asylum Movie Channel, a free ad-supported streaming TV entertainment network with over 2 million hours watched per month, is one of the top-rated OTI entertainment networks. End quote. I don't know about that. I might have to look into the legal ramifications of overestimating one's importance in the streaming business. I want to know who does their PR because that was kind of brilliant and how misleading and yet not misleading it was. <laughs> Whoever did this must have worked in sales on infomercials. I'm just saying, or, or used cars. Cause wow. Could have wow. been real shy because he'll paint your car for forty nine ninety five. Yeah. I mean like this is a PhD in spin doctoring. <laughs> That's all I have to say to this. Because wow. I cannot disagree with you there, Mr. Marchand. Wow. So here's the thing. They kind of stumbled into the whole mockbuster thing for what I was reading. They did this hmm. in 2005 because they made a low-budget adaptation of The War of the Worlds, which classic novel in public domain, you can do that, but they did it to capitalize on the Spielberg adaptation. But of course, who wouldn't? Yeah, and apparently Blockbuster ordered 100,000 copies of their version thinking it was the Spielberg movie, which was a lot more than they normally do. Well, that's more on Blockbuster than uh, anybody else. Yeah, but that made the execs at, at the asylum be like, hmm, we have a new business plan. But here's the funny thing. Mr. Latt works really hard to put his own spin on things. He says, no, 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 no. We don't make Mockbusters. No, we don't make Mockbusters. He calls them tie-ins. Even though they capitalize on the major releases, he says they have original stories. And he says the company plans their productions around word of mouth of the financial prospects of the upcoming movies that, you know, they're ripping off. Yep. Fantastic. Right. Fantastic. There's a man who knows his business models. As yeah. long as he has all his I's dotted and his T's crossed, there's really nothing that anybody can do. Basically. And then he says, oh, he, this is an actual quote from him. He said, Mr. Latt, he said, quote, I'm not trying to dupe anybody. I'm just trying to get my films watched. Other people do tie-ins all the time. They're just better at being subtle about it. Another I'm sorry. This, this smacks of Chicago in the 1930s. I'm just an honest businessman. I'm just trying to earn a living. The police are... Making up these frivolous charges of bootlegging. Bootlegging. <laughs> oh, but here's the thing that really cracks me up. As I'm like, sir, did you realize what you were talking about here? He, he goes on to say, another studio might make a giant robot movie that ties into the Transformers release and call it Robot Wars. We call ours Transmorphers. End quote. <laughs> I'm like, do you realize Robot Wars is a real movie? It was made so by Full Moon in the early 90s. I've seen this. It's also been on MST3K. 
I don't know if he's just being coy and actually referencing something, because let's be honest, there's a lot of B-movie studios out there. The Asylum is nowhere close to being original in that regard. Full Moon was doing this kind of crap for years before The Asylum showed up, but at least their movies were original, for the most part. They had some that were dangerously close to mockbusters. <laughs> Looking at you, Dr. Mordred. <laughs> anyway, Mr. Ramawi stated in an interview in 2009 that the asylum you would talk, here's the thing the asylum does this all the time but they they have never made a movie that didn't make money that's the insane part they always make money they said they break even after about three months because they make movies for quote-unquote well under a million dollars i gotta tell you mr winters would love these people he probably would because yeah making all kinds of money. Maybe that's why he's helping them do their own little mockbuster monster island. But here's the thing. Apparently, people have been like, your stuff is eerily similar to the real stuff to the point where Mr. Ladd had to say, quote, we don't have spies at the studios. We have a general sense of what the film is, and we make our movie completely original, just based on that concept, end quote. Well, after what we've just seen, and supposedly it's supposed to be based on Godzilla King of Monsters from 2019, I would say that they had no clue about what that movie was going to be about. Yeah, so if they do have spies, they're terrible spies. <laughs> or they were found and rooted out. Possibly. But now we come to the part of the asylum research that is right up your alley. Raymond, ah, you and yes. Gary. The lawsuits. Ha <laughs> ha! Bread and butter. Because they've had lawsuits. My goodness, have they had lawsuits. Several, in fact. 2008, mm. 20th Century Fox threatened legal action because the Asylum made a movie called The Day the Earth Stopped, a mockbuster of their remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still, the one with Keanu Reeves. You know what? Let the Asylum have that one. That movie was a pile of garbage. Yeah, I haven't even bothered with it. Because <laughs> its reputation precedes it. You're not missing much. Right. Now, this one is actually kind of funny. 2012, Universal filed a lawsuit over a movie that the Asylum made called American Battleship, claiming that it infringed on their film, Battleship. You know, the one based on the board game. One of two mm. movies ever made based on a board game. This one had Liam Neeson in it, which is kind of fun. For five minutes. Yeah, but still, he's in it. <laughs> so, much like Eric Roberts was in this movie for five minutes. Well, yeah. <laughs> I wonder how much Coke money he got for that five minutes. But <laughs> it was just like a week. I believe Mr. Neeson just wanted his daughter back. <laughs> yeah. He always wants his daughter back. That's like every movie he's in. Because he has a certain set of skills. <laughs> but uh, so because of this, the Asylum did capitulate a little bit. They changed the title to American Warships. Not wrong. Battleship is a warship. Yeah. But now we get to the big one. Oh, they got in so much trouble. So much trouble over this one. Because Warner Brothers came after them about The Hobbit. <laughs> so, 2013, Warner Brothers, New Line Cinema, and MGM, and 
Hobbit producer, so the Hobbit films, sequels to The Lord of the Rings, directed by Peter Jackson. Their, its producer, Saul Zaints, I hope I said that right, they took legal action against the Asylum because they released a movie called Age of the Hobbits. Nope. <laughs> yep. And I already smell this one coming. Right. Well, what I read on there, and you'll, I'm sure you'll be able to unpack this a little bit more for us, the studios claimed that the Asylum was free-writing on their promotional campaign for a ho- The Hobbit Unexpected Journey because they claimed that the, ho- the quote-unquote hobbits in their version were not based on the Tolkien works. Indeed. And there ended up being a temporary restraining order put on the Asylum because of this. So they basically said it was trademark infringement. Oh, this, actually, this was the litany of things that they sued them over. Here you go. Trademark infringement, false designation of origin, trademark dilution. That's an interesting one I haven't heard. False advertising and unfair competition. So the studios argue that the word Hobbit is not in the public domain like fairy tale characters. It's exclusively licensed to them by the Tolkien estate. Indeed. They even... The state is very strong. Right. They even went and conducted surveys and presented that as evidence. They had a survey that showed that 48% of 400 people surveyed associated the term Hobbit with them. You know, SZC, Tolkien Enterprises, Tolkien Properties. There was a separate survey that, that was conducted by the Nielsen National Research Group that said approximately 16 to 24% of the survey respondents were confused about the source of Age of Hobbits, the Asylum film. The Asylum's defense? You tell me how well you think this would hold up, Raymond. I mean, you're familiar with the case. You already know how this went. But they argued oh, yeah. that, that Hobbit was in fair use of scientific terminology because scientists borrowed the word from the Tolkien novel to describe, quote, a human species in Indonesia, end quote. That sounds weirdly formal. I just want to say that. That seems to imply that they are a different kind of human. Are these like X-Men mutants or something? This is just weird. And they, the asylum, issued, quote, unquote, warning stating that this was not the Tolkien creature, end quote. And they also argued that the plot was different this was the little summary, or maybe it's something in the movie. I've not seen this movie that you know they put in there to say, oh, this is not the same thing. So here you go. Quote, in an ancient age, the small peace-loving hobbits are enslaved by the Java men. Did they make coffee? <laughs> A race of flesh-eating dragon riders. This sounds like something that you'd see in D&D. I should talk to Damon about this. The young hobbit Gobin must join forces with their neighbor giants, the humans, aha, uh-huh, to free his people and vanquish their enemies, end quote. Terrible. Just terrible. Right? So, would you have accepted that defense, or would you have? Absolutely not. <laughs> Africanus Florensis, I believe, is the, the hobbit in question, the ancient diminutive uh, human remains that were found. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. I'm looking this up on, let's see. Oops. Nope. That's wrong. Yes. Yes. Africanus or Homo Florensius. Florin. Floresiensis. 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 Ah, Gotta get that right. Right. So apparently, it was used as a colloquial term amongst the scientists because, you know, scientists being what scientists are, 
Not like the legal profession, they don't really care about classifying things appropriately, apparently. They just use it among themselves to say, hey, these little persons are three feet tall. Pygmies, if you were. But pygmy is not an appropriate word. Not in today's society. So they'd simply call them, oh, they are probably hobbits. Jokingly, I am sure. Yep. And from there, we get this legal defense, which was garbage. Garbage, yeah. Yep, the court rejected this. And here are the reasons they gave for it. I'm sure you're very familiar with all of these. They said, oh, that, yes. they said that it was the is rejected because it was permitted to use hobbits in the title of its film pursuant. I like that. That's that's a very legalese word. Pursuant to the free Opposite. speech test of the Second Circuit's division in Rogers v. Grimaldi. I have no idea what that case is, but apparently it's important in free speech law. <laughs> and second, that its use of the mark constituted nominative fair use to indicate plaintiff's mo uh, movies. And three, that the Hobbit's mark was a generic name. Unacceptable. Yep. Unacceptable. Right. So like I said, they got uh, the asylum had a restraining order put on them and they had to change the name of the movie to Clash of the Empires. And the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals affirmed the restraining order in 2013. <laughs> well, fair use does have its limitations. It does. Trust me. I've run into it. I got my first YouTube strike this year. That was fun. I've really come. I, now I know I've arrived as a content creator now. Now YouTube hates me. Well, an interesting addendum to this is this, this argument was tried back in 1976 when Gary Gygax created Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. A little ancillary knowledge that you don't need to go to your friend, Mr. Noise, for. Mm. You see, he also intended to use the Hobbits as a race as for player characters. However, the Tolkien estate came down rather hard upon him in his burgeoning company, TSR, and it was determined that he would change the name to Halflings. Mm. Mm -hmm. Even though within the Tolkien novels, they do call them halflings at certain points as a derogatory term. Mm. But as that cannot be considered a copyrighted description of a race of beings, he was allowed to use it. And so Dungeons and Dragons saved itself from any legal ramifications from the Tolkien estate. Thank you very much. I am done. There you go. But now let's talk about mockbusters, the thing that they are most known for, because there's some legal issues with this, too. Quite a few. Quite a few. Now, there's a couple of other names for mockbusters that <laughs> they're kind of funny, but I'm not a big fan of it. If you haven't figured it out, a mockbuster is a portmanteau of the word mock and blockbuster. But it, they're also called knockbusters with a K. As in knockoff. Yeah, like knockoff. Yeah. And drafting opportunities. There are legal reasons for that. A little unwieldy, that one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the definition of mockbuster I found it said it, quote, is a film created to exploit the publicity of another major motion picture with a similar title or subject. Mockbusters are often made with a low budget and quick production to maximize profits, end quote. Hmm. Now, here's the thing, though. Same article also laid out some criteria for it. And like most things, when you're talking about creative content, you know, intellectual property, 
it leaves a little bit to interpretation, shall we say. So this is what it said, quote, Unlike films produced to capitalize on the popularity of a recent release by adopting similar genre or storytelling elements, which, by the way, doing my research, it said that mockbusters should not be confused with what are called twin movies, which are movies that are released close together that have very similar stories. Deep Impact and Armageddon. Yes. Not the same thing. Those are not mockbusters. Definitely not the same thing. Yeah. But yeah, not mockbusters. So it goes on to say... Mockbusters are generally produced concurrently with upcoming films and released direct-to-video at the same time the film they are inspired by is released. A mockbuster may be similar enough in title and or packaging that customers confuse it with the actual film it mimics, but their producers maintain that they are simply offering additional products for consumers who want to watch more films in the same subgenres. End quote. Now, I say that's a little bit dubious because from what I was looking at, the concept of a mockbuster actually goes back several decades. So saying that it's direct to video, that's more of a modern criteria right there. Yes, I believe that the video rental stores used to have quite a bit of the mockbusters out there oh, and yeah. they were labeled as such. Right. And it wasn't just the asylum that did it. There was a lot of studios oh, no. that were known for this. So here's the crazy thing. The earliest mockbuster I could find goes back to 1959. Hello. Have you ever heard of a movie called The Monster of Piedras Blancas? Quite well, as a matter of fact. I am familiar with most movies from the Atomic Age. That was a Jim Cracker place to be. Right. Well, tell us a bit about it. What was it a quote-unquote mockbuster of? Well, one of my favorite movies, The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. It involved a an aquatic humanoid. Mm-hmm. Wanting female flesh. Mm-hmm. Did you know they... Because don't, don't they all? Mm, yeah. I mean, I've been on Monster Island long enough, the real Monster Island, long enough to know. Did you know that they even had the same creature to suit designer? As, really? Black, as Creature from the Black Lagoon? Yeah, Jack Caven. Uh, Kevin. Kevon? Well, you have to understand that the Creature from the Black Lagoon was actually created by a woman. Oh, well, this is the suit. The suit designer. Yes. Oh, really? That is exactly what I'm saying. Oh. Yes, and she got no credit. Oh! <gasps> Really? Uh, I know. Shocking. How dare they? Anyway, I that's will a th- look up and look in my... I know I have these notes somewhere. Oh, uh, well, th- that's a subject for another day, I'm sure. Indeed. But, so again, kind of go- it goes all the way back to that. And then the- there were a couple of other ones that it argued. I think these are, especially given the amount of time between the original and the mockbuster, you might be stretching it a little bit, but Attack of the 50-Foot <laughs> Woman, classic, of, classic B-movie, 1958. This article argued that that paved the way for Village of the Giants in, 19, in 1965. So seven years later, it gets a mockbuster. I don't think those two things have enough in common. Well, here's the weird... Village of the Giants was actually an extension of, uh, I believe, Food of the Gods by H.G. Yes. Wells. Yes. Well, here's the weirder one. Because I want to say it was a British film. I could be long, wrong on that. But it argued that it spawned a mockbuster made in Japan. Hmm. So... The Land That Time Forgot, 1974, and Legends of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds in 1977. I may have to call BS on that one. I, uh, that's a little dubious to me. So That's a stretch. So, as we pointed out, a lot of times these mockbusters fit into the B-movie model, but like I said, they make a lot of B-movies look Oscar-worthy. 
But it's not just movies that do this. Sometimes there's television that does this. Indeed. So it me- uh, so my research mentioned a 19... 19- I've never heard of this, but a 1979 film called Angels Revenge. Angels, plural, not possessive, plural, because it had a lot of superficial similarities, quote-unquote, to Charlie's Angels. Ah. And it even said the promotional materials re- resembled the TV show's graphic style. Hmm. Suspect. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's, you know, that's an exploitation film trying to capitalize on a popular TV show. Okay, we get that. Here's where we get into, I think, some more dubious territory with at least one of the things that they brought up here. I'm sure you're familiar with a gentleman named Glenn A. Larson. Ah, yes, Glenn A. Larson. What a man. Mm-hmm. He worked in television, and some would say he, quote-unquote, plagiarized popular films to make his TV shows. Of course he did. <laughs> but I still think, it, like I said, I still think it's a little that dubious. That was the flavor of the day back in the 70s. Uh, okay. I, you know, before my time. Basically, this article is arguing that classic TV series Battlestar Galactica is a, quote-unquote, mockbuster of Star Wars. And the Church of Scientology. Also true. <laughs> I'm like, feels a little insulting to Battlestar Galactica, which is a good show unto itself. I mean, I've seen some of it. It was cheesy 1970s science fiction. You know, Good was not really part of it, but it was the first show to go over a million dollars per episode. This is true. I mean, yeah, it's got a lot of visual similarities, but... The story's still pretty different. I would say, you know, more... He took some thematic cues from the Star Wars. Right, right. Uh, Do you have any opinions on this, Jimmy? True. Your life might be a mockbuster. Because War in Space. Got you there, Mr. Vanessa. (laughs) Yeah, because War in Space and all of that. I don't know how you can live a life that's a mockbuster. That's an interesting thought. Hmm. 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 But this I didn't know about. You might know this, you know, because you were around back then, but something called Alias Smith and Jones? I believe I heard of it. I don't believe I was actually familiar with it in the sense that I watched it. Right. It was a Western TV show that apparently was a take on Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Now that I've seen. Not many who haven't. And I believe at this point in, in time during the, the television generation, the traditional western was dying out and this was its last gasp basically now though here's the funny thing it's not just limited to the asylum or american filmmakers and studios no 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 not even the mainstream ones black exploitation films were apparently known for doing this and i found a list of titles and i'm like good lord why weren't they giving you a bunch of work back then raymond <laughs> so black exploitation films would do their own little versions of popular movies. For those who don't know, black exploitation films were kind of like the not underground, but they were basically indie films made by African American filmmakers for African American audiences. You know, so it was, you know, so for that subculture, they were really big in grindhouse theaters back in the seventies. Big thing in the seventies, especially in big cities. But they had movies like. Black Shampoo, 1976, based on the movie Shampoo, 
Black Lolita, 1975, after the movie Lolita, probably my personal favorite here, The Black Godfather from 1974. I don't even need to explain where that one comes from. And then Dr. Black, Mr. Hyde, based on the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I can name three movies that they have missed. Blackula, Scream, yes. Blackula, Scream, and Blackenstein. Yes. Those, those were some other ones. Yep. I'm sure you saw all of them. <laughs> they were fantastic. <laughs> Opened my eyes to a whole new world. Right. Now, here's the funny thing. There was an asylum before the asylum. And if you're a Kaiju fan, particularly if you're a Godzilla fan, you're familiar with them because <laughs> they distributed VHS as some of your favorite movies. Good times entertainment. Ah, good times. They would. They made animated blockbusters of Disney movies. <laughs> Sad but true. Yep, and they would release them because they would say, "Oh, it's public domain fairy tales." So you and historical stories. You can't get us, but they would intentionally mimic the branding and the promotional materials, and Disney sued them over it. <laughs> Never mess with the mouse. Never mess with. The I mouse. learned my lesson there. Uh, Never yep. mess with the mouse. Never mess with the mouse. But then this happens in other countries. So there was a Brazilian CGI animation studio. My apologies if I butcher this, but it was called Video Brinquedo. Close enough. Yep. And they made low-budget direct-to-video mockbusters of movies made by Pixar, Disney, and DreamWorks. I believe the movie Delgo. <laughs> I don't know that one. <laughs> you don't want to. I uh, probably don't. But that okay, this is funny. This is a German animation company founded in 1992, but the name makes it but their name makes it sound like they should be based in Australia. They're called Dingo Pictures. Dingo Pictures <laughs> ate my baby movie. <laughs> Shut up, Jimmy. I know it was a bad joke. <laughs> but yeah. They made traditionally animated movies based on fairy tales and concepts similar to those made by, again, Disney, Pixar, and DreamWorks. They had low-budget animation, small voice casts, and character designs that were very similar to the characters in the high-profile movies. Hilariously, they filed for bankruptcy in 2012, and then... In 2021, an independent label called Wierstern Deluxe Records started making radio plays based on their work. <laughs> They're adapting the knockoffs. I just, what? <laughs> but then, oh man, there are other mm -hmm. countries that are really famous for doing this, like Italy. Italy has a lot of mockbusters to its credit, or sometimes they would make unofficial remakes and sequels. This is hilarious. Like Lucio Fulci made Zombie 2 in connection to Dawn of the Dead. And then in the Philippines, I wonder if you knew this, Ray, but did you know in the Philippines there are unauthorized Batman movies based on the 66 show? No. Yep. One that is actually a giant gap in my knowledge. Yeah, one of them is called James Batman. <laughs> I need a drink. <laughs> yeah, after that one, I understand. And then I'm, this one I'm sure you've heard about. Turkey. Ah, <laughs> uh, Turkish Superman. 
<laughs> that's one of them. Turkish Star Wars. Yep, that's the one I was going to bring up. It's a movie called The Man Who Saved the World, which steals footage from Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Most Gotta people, love it. Most people outside of Turkey just call it Turkish Star Wars, like you said. Sometimes the mockbusters, the only thing they have in common is they play off of the title. Mm-hmm. So there are movies called Tangled Up or, I'm not kidding, Tappy Feet. <laughs> no, 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 Jimmy, no, we're, we're not doing that. No, no, no. Definitely prefer the Wawa sounds on that yes, one. Yes, for sure. So, again, we get to your favorite part. Let's talk about the legality of all of this. Ah, legality. So... I mentioned the term drafting opportunity. What I mean by drafting opportunity, according to my source, is he said, for example, Kiara the Brave, a mockbuster of Pixar's Brave, and Puss in Boots, a furry tale, a mockbuster of Puss in Boots, are sound-alike titling to drift off the marketing success slipstream of popular films. The argument being, according to box office magazine editor Amy Nicholson, can you trademark an actual noun? The idea of a battleship? Well, no. Hmm? No, you can't. I mean, technically you can't. Yes. I'm sure there's some legal brouhaha that the mouse has gotten up its nose to trademark certain nouns. But be that as it may, I think it is still open to interpretation. Right. I mean, I was a little worried when I published my first novel and I called it Pandora's Box. But thankfully, that's in the public domain. You can't copyright that. Because Greek myths. Sorry, people. <laughs> it's all Greek to me. Yes. Uh, yeah. So yeah. there you go. But here's the thing: big studios hate mockbusters, especially now because it gets them bad publicity. Mm-hmm. People will watch the mockbuster, get mad that they didn't get the real movie, and then go leave bad reviews for the original movie. I can't tell you how many times I went to the uh, video store back in the day. Picked up what I thought was the movie of the week that had just come out, only to find a pale imitation. Yep. Yep. Now, Very disheartening. Right. This is what drove me into the legal field. <laughs> Not really, but it sounds good. Yeah, it does. It does. So when I was looking up all this stuff, I found a thing about the Walt Disney Company. File, you know, This is one of their big high-profile lawsuits. <laughs> they went to the California federal court with an injunction against the continued distribution of the Canadian film, The Legend of Sorilla, because they called it Frozen Land. Hmm. Disney alleges, quote, to enhance the commercial success of Sorilla, the defendant redesigned the artwork, packaging, logo, and other promotional materials for its newly and intentionally misleadingly titled film to mimic those used by Disney for frozen and related merchandise, end quote. Hmm. They put that against phase four films. Did they win? I uh, I don't remember. I'm guessing they did because they're it's the freaking mouse. <laughs> the mouse rules all. It does, unfortunately. Now, if you ever, this sounds very legal because this was one of the things that a lot of major studios bring up against these mockbuster producers. You ever heard the term intent to deceive? Ah, yes. Every time I think I'm going home to my family. Well, that was dark. I'm sorry. Well, I was a superhero. Yeah, well, this is true. I couldn't tell them my identity. I'm tr- and now you're talking about it on the air. Nice job. Past tense was a superhero. Right. All right. So basically, the argue that the mockbuster producers intend to deceive 
the audience to get them to buy the thing thinking it's the other movie. Now, yeah. I guess the idea is that if they weren't trying to do that, then eh, they don't have as much legal recourse. But if they can prove their goal was to deceive, then they've got them. You know, hmm. it's like proving intent or motive in a murder case. You know, that's how you determine if, you know, someone gets charged with, you know, first degree murder or manslaughter. It's very hard to determine intent. We can't look inside somebody's mind. Same thing with movies. You can't determine the intent of a specific title or a specific set of circumstances within the movie itself. Right. Unless someone comes out of the woodwork, an informant, a spy, if you will. Mm, Correct. Now, I found one more tidbit from the asylum related to this. You remember how I said this? Like, no, we're not trying to dupe anybody. Because they tried to argue that... They have reports from Blockbuster and Hollywood Video, remember those, that mm-hmm. show that less than, quote-unquote, 1% of customers who rent one of their films ask for a refund. Because <laughs> they say, hey, there's a segment of people who like watching our crap because they think it's funny. And they like to make fun of it with their friends. That would require that it was charming, unlike what we watched <laughs> today. Mr. Kyle Ryan, managing editor of the AV Club. I mean, you guys are a sister publication to The Onion. You expect me to take anything you say seriously? Apparently. Apparently. But there you go. Any closing thoughts on the legal matters of Mockbusters, Raymond? Because I'm done with all my notes. (laughs) It is a giant gray area, Mr. Marchand. It is a colossally huge and wide, almost kaiju-sized, if you will, Mm -hmm. gray area. It's why they have gotten away with it for so long. Far be it from me to stomp on anybody's American dream, and they seem to be doing quite well. Mm. If you remember, Roger Corman also subscribed to something like this. He would take existing properties and do his own thing. I believe the stories of Edgar Allan Poe come rocketing to mind back in the 1960s. Mm. Now, obviously... Most of Poe's work is very short prose. It's virtually impossible to stretch it out to an hour and a half movie. So he embellished them, making them more of what they actually are, which in legal circles can be a bit dicey. But when you have Vincent Price as a star for most of them, you're not going to sue. You're Mm -hmm. not going to sue Vincent Price. Mm -hmm. I actually just saw The Raven with Vincent Price. That one was interesting because it's actually, it's a poem that they're stretching out into a horror comedy. That's actually a, basically a Dr. Strange before Dr. Strange, but yes, the, the magical battle between Vincent Price and Boris Boris Karloff. Exciting. I loved that as a child. Uh, You were a child. Childlike perhaps. Okay. I was going to say suddenly your timeline is as weird as Jimmy's. Oh, you occasionally trade notes, I understand. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. From NASA. Yes. But yes, it's one of my favorite movies to put on during the Halloween festivities. Oh, interestingly, that's when I watched it this year. Yes, nothing beats Peter Lorre getting drunk. That was entertaining. complaining about being a bird. (laughs) Again, that was entertaining. It was also Jack Nicholson's. Third or fourth movie. Yes, a very, very, very young Jack Nicholson. Almost unrecognizable. Until he went crazy and started doing the face. Yes. 
That's how you. That's know. That's where it all came through. That's how. That's how you know. It looks eerily similar to the faces I see Gary make. Only when he's talking about me. Isn't that right, Gary? Leave me alone. All right. All right. You know what? Before Gary gets into any more of the scotch, I think it would be a good idea for us to start wrapping things up. Sounds good to me. All righty. That was a fun discussion. Went a little longer than I expected, but hey, this is the Monster Island Film Vault. It's what people come to hear. So, Raymond. Yes. I don't know how loud you get in the courtroom, but are you ready to do one of the most exciting closing segments of the Monster Island Film Vault? Ah, yes, the Patreon shoutouts. Let's give it a go. Travis Alexander! Michael the Ham Hamilton! Danny Demetta! Eli Hey Harris! Chris Cook! Bex from Redeemed Otaku! The Cellcast! Damon the Noisemaker! Noise! Eric Anderson! Ted, where am I? Williams. Winja the Ninja. Brad, Batman Edelman. Christopher Reiner, our newest patron. And my personal favorite, Tofu I feel like I could take on any opponent in the courtroom now. My yakisobi jujitsu is right up your alley. Oh, you must show me how to do this. (laughs) Well, it involved a lot of wet noodles. Uh, Oh, at Yeti noodles? Of course. Is there any other kind? Uh, uh, Of course, of course, of course. I know that you're a big fan of Chinese because every time I go to the legal action team office, I see nothing but Chinese food boxes. Those are mine. He has me working off hours, so Yeti Noodles just brings his stuff by every couple of hours. Uh, uh, yeah. is, is, do you go? Do you have to pick it up yourself, Gary, or do you, is there like Uber Eats Monster Island around here? No, Jimmy sends a drone. Oh, of course he does. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm glad that you're you got a nice side hustle here. You know, you you do rides with Uber Mogura, food delivery with your drones. Do you have to deliver underwater? Because apparently they can go underwater. Oh, on rare occasions. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you have to charge? My extra? understanding is you never like cleaning them up after they've gone through the sewers. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, sewers are shortcuts, right? I mean, I mean uh, you know, you should know, Gary. You had a run-in with a very slimy fellow over the summer who came about because of our sewers. Yeah, thanks for bringing that back up. I am sorry. I don't mean to make you PTSD more than Jimmy. Oh, calm down. See what I deal with? Anyway. Nothing that those of us who are in the top echelons of our professions has to worry about. It's simply the price we pay for being excellent. This is true. But now... It's the end of season three. That is a little surreal for me to think about, Raymond. It is so weird to think that I have now completed season three of this podcast. I have to start getting everybody ready for what we're doing next. 
I just want to thank you, Mr. Marchand. It's very rarely that I can come out here and pontificate about things that generally I know nothing about. But you made it all seem very, very easy. And I want to thank you. And there'll be a bottle of scotch on your desk next week. Oh, great, because I might need it. I definitely might need it at this point. But those of you who perhaps you didn't listen to our previous episode on our competition, are you wondering, what is season four going to be about? Well, I'll tell you, preferably through rap. Reptilicus is silly, but he really illustrates the great array of monsters all over the place. Not just in Japan, but across the planet. An A to Z gamut or gargantuan panoply. Example, please. Or name a land. Belize. Oh, geez. Easy peasy. Maze maze. Seeing the Yucatan, you can meet El Cadejo. And believe they believe in him. They're not afraid to say so. Scotland. Nessie's living up in a lot. How about Poland? Scary, scary crow named a bot. So, so it's not just Godzilla? Well, duh, crow. There's a lot that could kill you. Hey. Tom. Sorry, crow. Okay. Gross. Joe. Yo, Jonah, how's the chorus go. Every country has a monster they're afraid of in their nation. Every monster has a country, yeah, station they call their home. Yes, indeedy, it is the Monster Island World Tour. We'll be discussing kaiju movies made anywhere but japan and the united states because guess what other countries get in on this kaiju action too and i know our friend damon noise is going to be very happy with me he's finally going to get his episode on reptilicus because yes that's on the docket (laughs) he can finally leave me alone (laughs) because it's coming (laughs) i was a little afraid that he was going to hire you to do legal action against me for not covering it yet (laughs) well he made some inquiries but gary pushed him off (laughs) uh good move good move so you know like i said there's a lot of things that are on the docket i talked about it a few months ago in our anniversary live stream when i nearly broke poor jimmy don't hit your button sir you'll be fine you'll be fine oh wait whoa 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 jimmy you're hitting the wrong button there what are you doing what are you doing what are you doing come on man do your job. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Calm down. All right. All right. Okay. Stop mucking around with the controls over there. But yeah, but our first entry, cause we're going to do this a little geographically, hypothetically speaking, if we were to travel say West from here on Ogasawara, you know, so we're not doing this chronologically. We're doing it geographically mixing things up a little bit here. So going West from Japan, first place we're going to hit, That'll be Hong Kong over in China. So we're going to, I know I'm stretching the definition a little bit for Kaiju, but come on, I need an excuse to give this movie the monster Island film vault treatment. I've already talked about it on Henshin but super inframan. You're trying to kill us, aren't you, Mr. Marchand? <laughs> it is beautiful insanity, sir. <laughs> I will agree with the insanity part. <laughs> yeah, so a little bit of henshin hero action. There is a kaiju in it and several monsters. Very strange. The movie's insane. I can't say that enough. If you want to get a preview of what to expect, go listen to the henshin episode I had with Chris Cook about it. So that'll be our first one up. And then our first Godzilla Redux episode. We'll be getting to Son of Godzilla from 1967 from the year of the kaiju. 
when every Japanese studio made at least one kaiju movie. If you're Toho, you made two. I already talked about their other one, King Kong Lives, not King Kong Lives, King Kong Escapes. Good Lord, the, I get those titles mixed up sometimes. You know, and you know, and then there were a couple of, speaking of that, you know, also in 1967, we had some South Korean movies. We had Yongari, Monster from the Deep which is also slated to be discussed. <laughs> People, I wish you could see Raymond doing the funny dance, the itchy dance, or whatever you call it, from that movie. I didn't know he had... It, it, I, I, I didn't know you had a groove anywhere. In There's a lot of research that goes into this kind of thing, and I was quite the hoofer back when I was younger. Well, Apparently, you and I need to hang out a little bit more often. I'm a ballroom dancer in my spare time, so I'm more of a flapper. Ah, I understand. So, yeah, a lot of cool stuff slated for the next season of the episodes. We're going to be going to uh, we're going to be looking at movies from South Korea and the, and China. I mentioned Thailand. Or then we're going to get over into Europe and check out some European kaiju films like reptilicus to make <laughs> to make damon happy we'll go to britain and we'll look at gorgo and i'm trying to remember what other conga oh boy conga <laughs> you know it's going to be fun i'm really looking forward to it and you know i'm sure you and gary i guess you guys listen to the show while you're doing your stuff right we generally have the feed on when you're recording in your booth during the broadcast yes during the broadcast. All right. So we got, like I said, lots of exciting stuff up ahead. I'm looking forward to it. So, Raymond, we come to one of the most mm. important segments of the Monster Island Film Vault, the shameless self-promotion. So do you got anything to let us know about? The only thing I'm worried about, Mr. Marchand, is, uh, for your upcoming season is, have you signed all the indemnity waivers? Work in progress, sir. Work in progress. There were a lot you of them. know who money. to give them to. <laughs> there were a lot of them. Indeed. There were a lot of them. Now, so just quickly here for uh, for myself, besides this podcast, I also co-host. Uh, well, I, with, I used to do it with Travis Alexander, and now I actually have a temporary co-host with me, Drew Dodgen, who is helping me finish up Henshin Men. So we're going to get done with our Common Writer 1971 coverage. And then also the Power Trip is starting its second season, in January, we're calling it Power Trip 2, Taisaku Sentai Pod Ranger. We'll be talking about Super Sentai and some Power Ranger comics as we wait for some 30th anniversary Power Ranger material to come out. So lots of good stuff for you to listen there. I know there's, especially after 2022, there's a lot of overlap now, more than I ever thought there would be <laughs> between all three podcasts. So hello to everyone who listens to all the things. <laughs> And keep it up. I really appreciate it. So, with all of that out of the way, for the last time in Season 3 and 2022, Jimmy, great to have you back. So, you know what? Cue the credits. Thank you for listening to The Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. If you want to join the discussion and be heard on the show, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Monster Island Film Vault. And on Twitter, where our handle is at TheMonsterIsla1. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and TikTok. 
Follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASA Jimmy and our many other colorful characters using the links in the show notes. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from TylerDrawsComics.com. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive, live edit by B33J, Serax, Juan Madrono, and Nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack, Battle with the Colossus, and The Opened Way, Battle with the Colossus, by Koatani from the video game Shadow of the Colossus. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. You can also support us by joining MIFV Max on Patreon. The Monster Island Film Vault is a Moonlighting Ninjas Media production. Sayonara! <laughs>